Welcome back to We Want More, the Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality Analysis podcast with... Why do I always stutter through that? Um, with me... Tradition. As yeah, tradition. We'll we'll get, like, our last episode, I'll say everything perfectly. Yeah. And then we'll start over. Cold day in hell there. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, I'm Stephen Zuber, and with me, as always, is my co-host... Brian Deacon. It's still me. Hi, everybody. Still him. And if you guys are hearing some background noises, I'm going to try to mitigate that in post-production, but they are replacing the roofs on my building today, so... I think they're doing more like the Nate, like a couple units down, but all the vehicles and stuff are going by, and it's awesome. So, anyway, you survived the hailstorm. How how'd the hail come out sounding? I think was it came it out good. Obvious? I left in the part it was where just dramatic. Like I was like, oh shit, and like you could hear my car alarm, and then I just cut like the six minutes that I was gone. <laughs> it was really funny. Nice. Let's see, man. Uh, before we get jump into stuff, I burnt myself out reading the news and shit today, so that put me in a great mood so i'm gonna just warm up the mic by ranting about something totally frivolous that will just get my anger out through a like not bum everyone else out medium and that is that i just finished ori in the blind forest um it's a video game that's been out for years i think and it's Mm semi-popular it's like a little kind of metroidvania style game but uh like it has it's kind of cute it has like uh you know fun mechanics that and a so-so story but it has some like somehow without having a story or really words it still has like some seriously emotionally impacting moments um but yeah man then uh like so the game i would overall recommend but and it's a huge but that makes it so that i cannot in earnest recommend this game there are like three tell us about your big butt steven oh yes you bet um <laughs> like there's three dungeons because it's a video game and after each of them it's like a fucking super meat boy grind fest to do like the escape sequence where like the dungeon's collapsing or whatever's happening and you can't save through the whole way through it. So it's just getting, you know, turned through a meat grinder for a super annoying half hour while you figure out how exactly to time every little exact thing that you're supposed to do and that you can't possibly see in advance because it's just supposed to catch you and kill you the first few times. So... And making it so you can't save just feels like you couldn't figure out how to make it interesting. So you just had to make it hard. I think that's a good way to put it. Like, I just, I'm not a fan of that kind of level design. Like, it's great to have it hard. It'd be cool if, you know, die a couple times because I wasn't good enough. But when it, you literally can't know what it's going to throw at you until you get killed by it, because it's all insta-deaths on these things, it just mm-hmm. made those sequences a complete chore. And so the last one, I was just, I don't know how long I just sat there and banged on it, like 20 minutes. And then I was like, you know what? Fuck this one. I just went to YouTube and saw that I was actually like three seconds from the end, but I didn't know what to do there. And you keep getting mm-hmm. like sniped out by this thing. And then turns out that's the end of the game. And then, you know, it was fun. But like, it would have been so much more enjoyable to not like have to come down from like the God, I fucking hate this game. God, I hate this game to like be able to actually enjoy the ending. So that is my review Especially of if you're, like, Ori. Close. <laughs> what was that? Especially if you're like that close. Well, and I wasn't sure how close I was. I just, yeah. it was, yeah, I mean, I was, I was pretty sure I was close. It was the third dungeon. I don't know if there'd be like a last thing or not, but it was more just the fact that like it, it to me, that is not enjoyable gameplay. I didn't play Super Meat Boy for a reason. And it'd be one thing if that's the point of the game, like just get ripped to shreds and figure out how to jump through this level. But that's not fun, I think. And the game can do a lot more than that. And it just failed to do it in all these moments. So I finished that like an hour ago and, uh, other than, you know, the parts of the game that... you're still salty about it. I'm still salty, but it's only been like an hour. But that said, other than the parts of the game that legitimately sucked, it was a fun game. So 
So Steven's review is it was good except for the parts that weren't. And the parts that and... weren't good were bad enough to make it not worth the rest of the game, which sucks because the rest of the game was good. But these parts were so not my style that I just. Plus, you're saying overall, it's a it's a thumbs down. I'm afraid so. They're... Yeah. Suck. But I mean, if you chop those three things out, like the dungeon completion meat grinders, the game would have been I don't know four out of five. It was fun. Yeah. Oh great. Well, what but other we... than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? <laughs> All right, what are we here to talk about today, Brian? Um, Harry Potter and the Battle Room Against the Buggers. Perfect. I'm or something. I, I, I called this out in the notes somewhere because you found another good parallel with uh, Ender's Game, which to remind everybody, you're currently reading with your daughter. Reading my daughter, yeah. I think it was like you were like, oh yeah, it's a weird coincidence, and then it occurred to me, no, it's not at all a coincidence. We were we were done with our very bad previous book. You're like, okay, what are we going to read next? And Blink, Harry Potter came to my brain. Not Harry Potter, uh, ah, Ender's Game. Nice. What so, was the last really bad yeah. book you guys read? Oh, God, what was it called? Uh, On the Edge of Gone. It was something like we had finished, we'd been reading a bunch of Terry Pratchett, but we'd finished that series. We were reading the Tiffany Aching series, and but we'd finished it. So we're like, okay, we got to find something else. And I'm like, well, let's see if we can find some science fiction. So I just like Googled like YA science fiction and... And we're like scrolling through it on my phone. I just like showing McKenna and she just like picked one um, and we like read it and it was like, look cool. So we started reading it and they see it was not good. Wow. So it was bad. It was bad. And did Ender's Game also so, come up on like young adult fic? Uh, <laughs> it has young adults in it. It does. Um, <laughs> I wonder, you know, with a genocidal, genocidal murdering psychologically stressed out child if that's really exactly. like what you yeah, and by and by young adults we mean like a preternaturally mature six-year-old that knows how to kill but <laughs> so in other words like Harry an James adult Potter in a six-year-old body that's young that, that's the orson scott card <laughs> definition of young adult is a 40 year old psychopath in a six-year-old's body love it it's a young adult <laughs> that's right a, a little person yes <laughs> a, little a little adult all right well this one Oh yeah, speaking of murdering psychopath kids, we start with uh, a battle. Draco. Yeah, and Draco. Man, twofer. Yeah. All right. Twofer. Yeah, I think like both of these, these are, these are in more like action sequence uh, chapter, three chapters this time. But um, yeah, so these, so it actually, it's another one that like kind of go by pretty fast. But yeah, so we, it's like a, it starts out like describing like what are the upper levels of Hogwarts like. And, and I, I don't know if this is like, original to the books or if, or if that's just how this world works but because it seems like we've had a recurring theme that the higher in altitude you get inside the hogwarts castle the weirder shit gets um i can't remember if that's world. og or not either but i remember that yeah. from like his first morning when he was going to like be late to mm. breakfast and she's like all right or the prefect said all right but you know try and take left turns because it's an odd numbered year or something and if you find yourself continuously going up just stop and wait for a search party otherwise we'll find you in what <laughs> felt like a week but it was actually four months or vice versa i can't remember yeah. Um, yeah. So, and I so I guess that's like why Quirrell uh, picked like those areas to when they were bringing up going back to having battles again. Uh, Quirrell's purposely putting it in in this part of the castle because it would be it's constantly changing and unpredictable, and it's so people wouldn't be able to like remember things and their plans would get all changed. And so, and so and there's some descriptions of like. Like the so the rooms are things will kind of move around when you're looking, but the rooms won't like change change like into a different thing if somebody's watching, 
So it's like a Schrodinger's hallway. But Even after eight centuries, Hogwarts is still a little shy about changing in front of people. Shy, that's right. <laughs> so yeah, like it was like, did a good job of sort of like setting it up as, because it's this kind of like fungible, like wacky room kind of vibe. It, it worked well as like setting it up as a, like, okay, battles are going to happen here. Um, if you're distracted by that noise, that's them bringing the ladder down. So I think that might be done for the day. Nice. Um, so what's going on? So, so, we're, and so we start out from Draco's point of view, and he's looking at, he's got like magical compasses. Um, and it occurs to me, like, so, uh, when was this written? This was written like around 2000? Uh, like 2015, like, 16, 17. Oh, really? Okay, I yeah. thought it was like a lot longer than that. Um, okay, because I was thinking like, would it have been when like everybody walking around with, you know, GPS devices in their phone would have been ubiquitous, but I guess it would have been. Um, but he's got two magic compasses, uh, which, so I guess he is, so he has two. He's got one that describes his own location. I think they describe the or other two for, armies. Oh, the other two. Okay, so everybody's got two for, yeah, so they're sort of like little mini Marauders maps. But then I guess it says that. Uh, well, I think they're, I think they're compasses like the, uh, like the nav bar, like on the top, on the top of a video game where like. If you if you move, you know, if you've got your destination set off in the distance and you move to the left, it doesn't move much, so you know it's far away. But if you're really close to it and you move to the left, it moves quickly to the right. But didn't it describe, or maybe it was just, like, maybe it was extrapolating from it, but because it seemed to me like it described it as, or, like, later they could say, oh, Draco has gone over, or like, so Dragon Army has gone over to Chaos Army. Was I guess they were just seeing that the two arrows pointed in the same direction, or I think so. Yeah, I think it just okay. it just points towards the largest active contingent of the other army. Yeah. Uh, okay, so it was just sort of extra. I, I guess I was like taking it because like she interpreted just like direct locations from it. I guess I was picturing like it was kind of a little map with moving icons around on it or something. No, that, that which wouldn't really work as a compass. So right. Well, but I mean that makes sense because you know if you just have markers on a compass like it's hard to tell if one thing's behind another but yeah i guess if if you're adjusting your location and they're staying about relative to each other then yeah, yeah. oh yeah and there's a description later of like oh if their direction changes very suddenly on you that means they're closer so yeah that makes sense there we go um yeah not super important though but so we and so we get a little bit of it's like the most important part of the story <laughs> <laughs> um we get so we're a little bit kind of in Draco's head as he's thinking about like so Draco is noticing the same thing Hermione has been noticing that like oh Harry is different, um, but and in, from Draco's perspective sort of the punchline to that is Harry's getting more powerful which as I read that does and he literally uses that word doesn't he powerful think, yeah yeah powerful um, which is sort of interesting like how we like how does that sort of manifest. Like what's, it's not like, oh, Harry's casting spells and the spells more powerful. It's just sort of like this generic sense of, oh, Harry is more powerful. And I guess he's sort of saying that in the context of like how he's fighting in the battles. But um, he's sort of like kind of just generalizing it to like Harry is just more powerful and something's going on. But so, but so Draco can see what's, what's up or not what's up, but he can see that something is up. Yeah. I think that, like, in this context, yeah, like you said, power doesn't mean, like, casting more dangerous spells. It just means that, like, uh, in in the power dynamic, I guess, the Slytherins think of it, right? He, he's getting yeah. more competent. Oh, so you're doing... Yeah, I get, Okay. Because I guess I read it as just sort of, like, Harry's, like, like Harry's experience points have gone up. Harry leveled up. And, like, when, when... I guess that's sort of how I, like, read it. And then I'm trying to think, like, what would that... 
map to in terms of, you know, when, like, are you talking about in terms of how is he commanding? Are you talking about as like his magic or are you just, but so you're thinking that kind of makes sense that it's sort of like a, like abstract social political power in the school. It's hard to know how you would observe yeah. that outside of battles too. Cause I don't get the feeling mm-hmm. that like Harry's out doing cool things the last few weeks, which yeah. I, you know, I must've known at some point or, you know, picked up on some level on previous rereads that this was weeks after the day of the Phoenix, which means weeks after the Bellatrix black thing, mm-hmm. but somehow it never really clicked that, I guess, you know, we had a bit of a time jump here. It's I can't remember when they broke out Bellatrix, but apparently this was, what, the 1st of March? Um, yeah, and I, yeah, I, oh, yeah, we did get a specific time. Yeah, I don't remember when they, but I get, yeah, we've had some, like, description of, like, Hermione. It does feel like, like a few weeks, because we've at least had Hermione talking about, like, that she's been watching it for a while. Yeah, that's a good point. So. I think, I, I think this is just me maybe reading fast every time I did this before, but, like, you know, you have some days that take 12 chapters, and then you apparently have yeah. a couple chapters that take a couple weeks, so. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, Draco's but noticed. Yeah, and, from, and from Draco's point of view, it's it's more like he's, like, filing it away strategically. It's, it's like, less about, like, oh, I wonder what's going on with Harry as much as, oh, what does this mean for me and my, like, position of power in the place? Um, which could segue to the next thought, because Harry talks about how his father, like, the House of Malfoy has forever like strategically align itself basically to be like the lieutenant to whoever the the big power is although i guess he didn't really say it exactly it was more that it like lucius had told him like if you can't if you see somebody that is definitely more powerful than you don't just like walk away in a huff or piss them off like make sure that basically you make friends with them uh and i that i guess the the history of the malfoy family is that they've capitalized a lot on politically maneuvering themselves to be the lieutenant to whoever is the head motherfucker in charge right which is like just the most malfoy thing i can think yeah, of I, I, I love it so much you know so like hey like if, if you can't be the kinda. right if you can't be the best then settle for being second best and don't throw a tantrum mm-hmm. just make sure you don't settle for less than second and it's mm-hmm. like and then it says something about how you know you could build up quite a position of wealth and power over a dozen generations of being second in command and then there's also the funny line where Granger apparently had never gotten this lecture from her own parents and was still in denial about the <laughs> obvious fact that Harry from, Potter was stronger. From her dentist parents. Exactly. Like, yeah. I, I, in, in Draco's head, I wonder if he said that somewhat tongue-in-cheek. Like, I know he doesn't know what mm-hmm. dentists are, but does he just imagine that's what every household is like when you're five years old, when you're sitting at the table with your parents and they're explaining how to, uh, I guess your parents, because Draco's mom got killed, but... Um, yeah allegedly yeah whatever <laughs> um but yeah so you know you're sitting there having whatever your supper that your servants made you and be like so here's how the power structures work son and here's what you must do i think he just thinks that's how everybody has dinner when they're children i guess that you know you just like brought up narcissa at random and that's making me because one of my other little notes about this is i don't know what the fuck to make of dumbledore anymore um because like his first like the idea of like maniacally evil Dumbledore pretending to be a doddering old man seemed kind of cool. That doesn't seem to be, <clears throat> it was more like a cool idea, not so much like everything was pointing that way. But uh, that's like, at least in my head, I've taken that completely off the table because we have the, he has the Fox seal of approval. Um, so now, now that you just mentioned that, I don't know what to make of the, the Dumbledore set, set people on fire story. I guess maybe just not a, tra- yeah, I don't know. 
So with that, that don't jive with Fox wouldn't be cool with that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he definitely wouldn't be cool with it. I think you're right. Like, I, and this is me just speculating on how phoenixes work. I wonder if you just have to be like a super badass hero or be a super good person to get a phoenix your first time. And then you can kind of do whatever you want. But I don't think that jams. Like, I think that if you kicked enough puppies, you know, your phoenix would fuck off, right? Yeah. And that's kind of a, that's a little bit more than kicking puppies. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You set enough people, you set enough innocent people on fire and your phoenix is like that. All right. You get two more. Okay. That's it. (laughs) You get to, you know, burn me to death once. Shame on me. (laughs) Shame on you. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, so, so in, we're, we're still kind of basically just in Draco's head as we're, we're about to start a battle. Um, and the other like little bit from Draco's head is that he he had tried to talk with Hermione about like okay let's team up against Harry which is not against the rules um, but Hermione like out of just pride didn't want to do it um, because she wants to get Harry on her own and it wouldn't uh, be nice which, and it wouldn't be nice that's right actually I don't, I don't it wasn't this this time it wasn't so much that it was or was it I don't no I no it was, it was explicitly about, like, oh, that she wanted to own. yeah yeah right. which I guess but now I, I like. Just... Yeah, my inner well, Hermione with, says it wouldn't be nice. Well, I guess, but it does kind of like sync up with with Hermione's kind of uh, personal conflict. These couple chapters about kind of not wanting, basically not wanting to be Harry's bitch. Um, that like or, or sidekick, her own person, psychic. Yeah, yeah. But like not wanting to be like defined as Hermione, friend of Harry Potter. Um, right. She wants to be Hermione, yeah. the super awesome person that everyone remembers in her own right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it, I think that, you know, brings us right home to the name of the arc, the self-actualization uh, chapters, yes. right? Like, I, and I, I like that. It's, um, I don't remember if that was ever a thing in canon where it either, oh, well, no, it was actually. Ron got bitter about it and he left at some point. Um, bitter about? About, like, always living in Harry's shadow. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, in, I guess, everyone's defense, Ron wasn't doing anything interesting, so... Uh, not not to shit on Ron, but to shit on Ron. Ron was super boring in canon. <laughs> I guess, you know, I hadn't really processed it that way, but because I think I said to you a little before, like my, um, sort of my idea of, like if you were just going to summarize what is the original Harry Potter quote about, um, that it's about Harry like being shoved into, hey, you're going to be the boy who lived. And he's like, who, what, excuse me? Um, and sort of like having to like it's then seven books of Harry going oh shit I guess I am the boy who lived and trying to fig- like figure out what to do with that and like how to rise to the occasion um, and so I guess a lot of because uh, much of the theme of these few chapters goes along with that self-actualization and how do you become who you are who you are meant to be etc so I guess it does kind of tie in with that which hasn't really like up to this point hasn't seemed to me like it's been like a different like we've been going in different places with this story than the original one in terms of that idea. So I think this is at least for me, like the first time I'm seeing it kind of like heading back into the direction of what the original books did for this idea. Yeah. And I mean, there's not, you know, that's not like that. That's a super original idea where, you know, the protagonist is shoved into a situation where they have to just, you know, level up or die. And because Mm -hmm. they're the protagonist, they usually don't die unless you're reading game of Thrones. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I think, this hasn't focused on that. You're right. Cause Harry didn't suffer from that state like that. The humility, I say, suffer the humility. Um, and I stand by it that the Canon <laughs> version stood, you know, had right where he's like, Oh, I'm just some, you know, modest little 11 year old Harry's like, all right, cool. Well, I was already super badass. 
having an ancient prophecy confirm that. All right, that makes sense. But then he sees, you know, as like as we observed in the Azkaban arc and stuff, that like being uh, a badass and or a hero turns out to be much more taxing than it is conveyed in the books. Yeah. So. Yeah, and this, I mean, because and it and it feels like like this this sort of a newer emphasis has been going on of like with like with what Harry was saying to McGonagall about like yeah no kids aren't supposed to have to deal with this but I do and so let's that's just the way it is and that does feel like a lot more sort of like um, not like copying or whatever but um, like that's like similar to um, like that sort of hasn't been a major theme up till now but it now that's becoming more like that that's at least for me what the original like, like a big theme of the original one i keep saying theme like we're in english class but compare and contrast the thematic similarities and differences of harry potter and the methods of rationality to canon in 800 words go 800 words Um, even i could do that (laughs) um so yeah so what's um yeah basically so that's sort of like the the build-up and then we kind of like get into doing battle huh yeah, the battle kicks off through the whatever the the bell that everyone can hear, and then Draco shouts for his army to run so they can get between sunshine and chaos and take on chaos themselves. Um, yeah, or between put to put chaos between. Oh him right, and sunshine, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Good catch. Um, um, but yeah, basically, so that so that he wouldn't be fighting with sunshine. Exactly, be fighting with yeah with chaos. Which now, like, what was his? thinking with it was just so that he wouldn't be wasting resources trying trying to attack Hermione yeah I think so I mean it does seem like he they would stand to lose uh the whole war if they just or the whole battle if they just went down fighting uh yeah. the um Each chaos other. legion but I mean yeah because like what's Draco's end game here I think like it I mean so he, he Draco's thinking that the two of us teamed up can barely take him on and yeah. now his plan seems to be like I'll try and hold him back, and I guess maybe whittle down their numbers myself. Maybe he. Oh uh, yes, because so he could because he didn't have like an explicit alliance with Hermione, but I guess he's like you know if we don't both go after Harry, we're fucked. So I guess even though I don't have an alliance, I'm gonna try to only attack Harry, hoping that she comes in as well. Yeah, and I think that he probably thought they'd meet and be able to harangue Harry's army from both sides, rather than mm-hmm. Harry having divided his forces the way he did. So yeah. Which the way they did, we get into that, and we get some, some follow up on what they were doing with Cedric in the last chapter. Yeah, and so and is Cedric in chaos? No, he was. Uh, oh, is he just he was, not even? He was a... training Neville in, in dueling, I guess, so Neville can go hunt Bellatrix Black uh, when he's yeah. Old but enough to go was, get is Cedric is Cedric even part of these battles, or is he just no, like, no? Is he in somebody's army? That was. Is he completely? I think he's in an army. Um, yeah, that's what I was wondering. Like, so he's training them, but like, is he been part of this battle? And if he is, whose army is he in? No, he's not part of this battle. He was training them okay. as an extracurricular thing. Okay. Yeah. So he's, he hasn't been part of any of these no, the, armies the whole time. Uh, not the first year armies. No, he's in the fifth year armies. Oh, was he? Has he always been that much older than Harry? I don't remember that from the originals. Uh, wait, fifth? Yeah, that. I would have said that. That doesn't scan. If does you were it? telling me, I would have said they were in the same year. But well, I know that uh, in uh, what was it, Goblet of Fire. Um, I think that they had to be, like, that was the whole thing where... Oh, that's right. Cedric was old enough, but Harry wasn't. But right. They, his name got stuck in anyway. And the, and the line that everyone loves from how the books, or how the movies ruin the books, like, Dumbledore asked calmly, um, you know, did you put your name in the goblet? And in the books, he's all, like, you know, Dumbledore's chill and serene about it. In the movie, he literally grabs him and shakes him and yells in his face. And <laughs> it's, like, 
man, I get it. You're taking your artistic liberties with this, but that seems like such an easy beat to get right. That's so in character for it. But that the movies did a lot of weird stuff. I mean, as as somebody who is, I mean, everyone is a big fan of saying the books did it better, but it's more just like, why would you skip things that you could easily get right? That's the things that bug me. Like the decision to put the scar over his right eye rather than the middle of his forehead. And I remember reading a thing when that came out and everyone was annoyed about it. And one of the writers or directors or something was like, well, it never says exactly where it is just on his forehead. And I'm like, motherfucker, it says right here, the first time it introduces his scar, like in the you know, second paragraph of the second mm-hmm. chapter of the book that it's in the middle of his forehead. Like, so what? Yeah, that's one of those things that, like, that reads well in a book, but then if you try to do it visually, I, I can imagine, like, I, I just wouldn't be able to stop staring at, like, this scar on the center of his forehead. He looked like a cyclops or something. <laughs> like, that's his spiritual third eye or something. Yeah, and, you know, I guess with it being off to the side, they could cover it with his hair and stuff, so it wouldn't always mm-hmm. be the center of attention on his face. Especially because he had his, his 2000s uh Leaf Erickson haircut. Nobody understands that reference when I say it. These kids will get it. I know who Leaf Erickson is, but I doubt you're making <laughs> not reference. Not the Viking. Not okay. So I don't know. Not the Viking. Or Leaf Garrett. Sorry, I did call him the Viking. Leaf Garrett was this like '70s bubblegum heartthrobby guy with 2000s kids' haircuts. In the 2000s, all the teenage kids had 1970s hair. And I, in the 2000s, I told my nephew, my my nephew at that time, I'm like, "You look like Leaf Garrett," and he said, "Who?" Like, exactly. <laughs> Enough time has gone by that you all forget how stupid it looked the first time. <laughs> and in the 2000s, all the, all the teenagers on TV were in their 30s and 40s. Exactly. Oh, that's still true. I see a little bit better now. I mean, at least with Tom Holland playing Spider-Man, he's like in his early 20s and not in his mid-30s. But, you know. I guess that's true. Little, sure. little improvements. All right. So we're getting a little sidetracked. So. Uh, we still don't get like an explicit layout of what Harry did to kind of cheat this battle, uh, but it, it yeah we, we kind of like jump back to just like Harry and Neville are stomping. Like all we know is that they're wearing something heavy, right? And when we get um, an allusion towards the end of the little section here, but what's funny is that like, uh, well, not funny, but what's important is that they are the only two in this contingent. He sent he mm-hmm. sent the rest of his entire army to go fight chaos, or excuse me, to go fight the dragon army, and. He and he and Neville are going to go take on the entirety of the Sunshine Regiment, which I just think is awesome. Yeah, that wasn't. I guess yeah, that wasn't like super. Like the significance of that, as I was first reading, it didn't like dawn on me. Um, I guess I don't know. I guess I wasn't like thinking about it super heavily, but I guess I was thinking like they were more in like some sort of like scouting mode or something. Like it wasn't just like okay, these two guys can just tank their way into taking on Sunshine Army, but until they get uh, there and declare it. <laughs> declare uh yeah because it's like this dramatic like doors bursting open and then he's dun, like dun, dun. yeah you'll we, uh, we're, you know you'll be fighting us or the, the rest of the rest of chaos will be fighting dragon you'll be fighting the two of us or something we'll find the quote when it comes up but um i do like there's a little kind of quick thing for um as far as like uh, it's not transfiguring because, you know, apparently wizards would occasionally wear them, as you can see in some statues and whatever. And So, yeah, I guess they never really describe it. Is he wearing, like, knight's armor? Or, like, they never really describe it. I think they're wearing transfigured plate armor underneath big cloaks. Okay. And but so, just, like, like old school knights of the round table That armor. That's what I'm picturing. Uh, I mean, it could, maybe it is just mm-hmm. chain mail, but, uh, cha- yeah, that's I guess, cha- chain I, you know, I don't know how spells work. I guess the whole ball of it has to hit you, like, and, you know, it, it wouldn't go through the links in chain mail. Either one. 
I guess, you know, well, yeah, it was vague because I don't think it was ever described like what it was. Well, but it would be something that because uh, Neville was saying like, oh, we should cast a quietest term on this because we're making a bunch of noise stomping around. And, you know, the metal so, shuffling or something, Neville. which I like. That's a little throwaway thing for Neville that I liked is and it's just uh, I don't know exactly how to put this, but it jumped out at me because like I like that Harry's not having all the good ideas and yeah. you know silencing their secret weapon actually sounds like a really clever thing to do and this was a good good thing to have uh neville point out yeah neville's yeah, getting badass harry, harry made sure to like say it out loud that was one of the like he nodded but then he wasn't sure if like he didn't know that neville would have seen him nod so he said yeah it's a good idea that's part of why i'm thinking yeah. that they're wearing armor and not just chainmail because yeah. like if i read between the lines there it could be that their field of vision is reduced because of the helmets yeah and they talk about, like at least when it was like when they were training with Cedric, um, the it, there was kind of an emphasis on it being on their legs. Yeah, I think um, I think they were just training with weight. I don't think it was yeah, armor. No, it was just that at all. Okay. But yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Anyway, then we cut to sunshine. There was any like there should have been like descriptions of like Harry being like all like oh I'm working out too much this sucks like oh I'm so sore. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that'd be funny. He just worked himself into exhaustion, and now yeah. like just walking with this would be killer. Mm-hmm. On the plus side, if you ever had, you know, whatever, uh, leg weights and stuff, you'd wear them for a week and then you walk around and the next day after you feel, you know, lighter than air. Um, <laughs> all right. So. And so we do get, and then we like cut a little bit to, we get a little bit of description of Sunshine Armory uh, roaming the halls as well. And it was at least like sort of the takeaway for me from that was kind of like they're being like sort of competently strategizing, like the way they're holding up shields and who's looking where. Um and that she that Hermione has this uh, plan that if they do run into people that they're going to intentionally kind of just wade in everybody between them because she's had her people training like how to do like kind of close quarters stuff of taking out the other guy without hitting your own people uh, with the idea that oh they probably wouldn't be prepared for the same thing so we're just sort of like getting to see like what kind of strategizing they've been doing and it sort of got the impression too that it also wasn't kind of this command and control version of it that it was kind of this more collaborative thing that they had figured out yeah which like ends up not mattering at all right it, <laughs> but, it still doesn't matter but i do like the the very different dynamic between yeah. like sunshine and dragon especially uh chaos is true to its name it just does whatever the fuck it wants but yeah. you know with dragon army draco's in charge he gives the orders and everyone listens and he's got his lieutenants who are you know second always to him but in Hermione's army, it's like, hey, we're all in this together, right? And, you know, what's everyone's ideas? All right, let's work as a team, not as a, you know, commanded contingent. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Yeah, and I think it was like, like it was good to at least show, like, okay, she's not just kind of like, they're not wandering around aimlessly to be have their asses kicked. Um, although, as we're talking about that, it occurs to me, like, we get very little description at all of how Chaos Army fought. Like, we care about Neville and Harry, but in, in a little bit of, of Draco fighting them but kind of not much description at all of like how did the rest of the chaos army fight yeah i think that we like at least malfoy concludes that um at least the lieutenants are wearing metal shirts or something but mm-hmm. it's not clear oh yeah they do have armor that's right yeah i mean metal shirts could also mean chain mail but you know yeah i'm not a uh medieval armorer so that's said... smithy Right, I'm not a smithy. That said, uh, if if uh, if I was a wizard in the 1500s, you can bet your ass to be wearing plate mail or chain chain mail or something, right? No, sorry, wizards only get robes and daggers. No, no, no. These, these rules are as old as Gary Gygax. Hybrid class. I, I would, 
yeah have a have a sword that shoot uh, you know what like how um lucius has his wand and his cane in the movies and how uh hagrid probably has his num- his umbrella mine would be in my sword <laughs> all right that was a total aside my my strategy in any kind of like sword and sorcery kind of game is that you always pick the magic user class because they are a drop in for us as nerds and so the game is usually rigged to have the magic user be really weak in the beginning but then by far the most powerful one in the end so usually the game mechanics are rigged in favor of the wizard i i mean that's i think that's probably true for me it's always less thought out and more just like why would i risk getting my head cut off in a sword fight when i could set the guy on fire from 20 feet away i know so just but purely you practically have to, you have to like start out with nothing but a robe and a dagger that sounds and rough. magic missile yeah skyrim is way easier than get. tabletop rpgs anyway we cut to uh um well after the cut you know so they're they're they've got their like you said their strategy sunshine does and then the doors kick in at the other side of the corridor <clears throat> and two hooded figures in, in gray cloaks gray cloth stretched over their faces beneath the gray hoods and it's uh, Harry's voice, and he screams "Stupefy," which is the dueling grade stun- stunner, and she barely dodges it, and she feels it like tingle her arm as it goes over her, and mm-hmm. it apparently hits one of her soldiers so hard that she crashes, like she blow- she's blown off her feet and crashes into Ron, and uh, like I got when they when they like blew open the doors and like marched in, I got this like combined vibe of like a combination of RoboCop and like Fezzik from the Princess Bride in his Holocaust cloak. Like this is just like ginormous dude in <laughs> showing up to lay waste to the Sunshine Army. Fucking love it. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's spot on. Um, and then Neville does another. So like they all they 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 lobby them with somniums, and they, you can't see the sleep spell, which is how she won the first battle because they all just pretended to get hit. Um, and, and what then, is Neville? Neville's like shuts like a battle cry, or something like "We're the Grey Knights of Chaos" or something. Yeah, but after after shooting another uh, stupefy at somebody, oh, at her, and then she he misses as she uh, dodges, but then that one hits Ron, and so then, hello there, sunshine," said Harry from beneath his hood. "We're the Grey Knights of Chaos," said Neville's voice. <laughs> "We'll be your opponents for this battle, while Chaos's other army slaughters the dragons." And by the way," said Neville's voice, "we're invincible," <laughs> which is just so fucking cool. And what's great about it too is because like they, they're portraying this air of invincibility. They are invinci- inv- uh, invincible to the the sleep hacks. Um, it's just the the sheer badassery of walking in like you're bulletproof because they basically are with all the confidence that that has. It just like I said, feels like mm-hmm. an action movie. Yeah, yeah, it did feel. And as and they're like the way Harry and Neville are talking is almost because. Uh, and I even think. What is he? He says like, "Is that arrogant of me or something?" Something, but oh yeah, um, it like, was great. Like, but the yeah, there's like at least like this the way kind of the vibe coming off of him is like this is more playfully like over the top like faux arrogance because he's like, "Am I not awesome?" Um, and so yeah, it had like like it sort of still brought in this like the vibe of this newer Harry who is sort of like more realistic about himself and his position in the universe. Um, and that, and it's sort of like a little more overtly, like he's playing with his friends, like he's talking shit to Hermione. Um, and it is like sort of that, that sense of like, Oh, Harry like sort of half believes this when he says it, like that's kind of gone. 
Um, and it's, it just is sort of like that more just sort of like pure playful kind of like, oh, you are my best friend and I'm fucking with you. Yeah, that's how I read it too. And it, the line, I, it's stuck out with me forever. It's like the, uh, um, it, like I said, it's exactly the, the, it's pure playfulness. If this was Harry in the first yeah. chapter, it'd feel much more like he's not being playful. But in this one, he is, it's Hermione. And she says, you know, I understand that's not really your fault, but I'm getting tired of, uh, hearing people talking about the boy who lived like you're like you're some kind of god or something same here <laughs> i must say it's sad how people keep underestimating me and then i know uh, yeah you know as we're saying like i think like one of the differences behind it is like when he's like previously been sort of like overly grandiose about his off awesomeness like he's having less of a good time in those times when it's sort of like arrogant he's not having a good time being arrogant uh, but this is like like he's having fun with this. Um, like there's just kind of more of a playful thing to it. That's a good point. Yeah, and I think that's that might be the difference there that makes all the difference that he's yeah. that he's having fun and it's clearly in good nature. Especially with this last yeah. line where she says, "You think you're pretty cool, don't you?" Why, yes, yes, I do. Yes, I do. S- some might call that arrogant, but am I supposed to be the last person in Hogwarts to notice how <laughs> awesome I am? <laughs> but this is after the uh, the lightsaber battle begins. Yeah. Oh, that's right. And uh, yeah, I was like, I because uh, so yeah, so we get like Daphne. Daphne Green. Is this the first time we've heard her name? It's actually kind of a cool name. Is it Daphne Greengrass? She's been around. I think she's an OG she's character too. Yeah, um, definitely OG character. Actually, don't call me yeah. out on that. Uh, and so she like so we get like we kind of drop into her head a little bit, and we see like okay, apparently Daphne has has a thing for Neville, and she's kind of like also playing along with this, wanting to be part of the you know, super drama of ooh, who's going out with who. And uh, and so she's sort of like picturing that she's going to like stage this dramatic scene during the battle that like announces uh, her her thing for, for Neville um, and that she's going to like declare battle with Neville and that's going to be like this very obvious sign that she's got a thing for him. And so she does this over the top. What I, I didn't pull a quote from it, but she basically sort of like calls him out in, in dramatic battle language. It's all dramatic until she says, let's see what you've got, Nevi. Nevi. <laughs> and I, get, it's, I sort of read that as like, that was like sort of, or like fell on its face idea of, okay, yes, it's going to be this like hostile calling out. But then if she like uses the word Nevi, that will be the signal to everybody else that this is really some like, you know, mixed signal of, yes, I'm trying to attack you, but it's really because I like you. And it's also like super awkward and high school girl. <laughs> it's it's delightfully childish and yeah you're right i guess I, I didn't occur to that it didn't i didn't think of that as far as that kind of being like a shorthanded pet name to yeah. signal uh whatever her um her crush yeah, love is true yeah her crush yeah her yeah interest she likes capital l likes Neville. Ooh, she like likes him like exactly there you go she like likes him and i like how harry too he's not fucking around he shoots a stupefy at her and then she like lightsaber uh what do you call the blaster pistols in Star Wars? Just uh, blasters? No, they're not phasers. Blasters, that's right. Yeah. Gonna, phasers, that's Star Trek. She just bla- she just blaster beams it back at him, and he has to dodge yeah. to get out of the way. Which I hadn't gotten, because we hadn't yet, they hadn't yet used the word lightsaber. I, I think we had at that point, like, and I, like, I got the Latin part of it, like the spell she says is Lucis Gladius. And I'm like, oh, sword of light. Oh, this is going to be like, and I guess I was picturing some sort of like, you know, sword and sorcery game, like, oh, this is the paladin sword or something, um, which I guess is what Star Wars was supposed to be. 
Perfect. Um, but I, and then after we got it, I'm like, oh yeah, I guess that if you had to like, what is the, how would you say lightsaber in Latin? That would be the same thing, but, um, but, but yeah, so I didn't, I didn't connect that, that like, so Harry, like, was it a stupefy or, but anyway, he like throws a, a blaster bolt at her. Uh, and then when, she, yeah, she just like knocks it back and I didn't connect until after like, oh, that was a Jedi move is what that was supposed to be. Which is kind of cool. I like that. Yeah, it's after the line break where it goes back to, uh, I think, Harry's point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe Hermione's. It's sort of third person for a minute. But then it was like, uh, it says that for a few seconds, no one did anything but stare at Neville and Daphne as they started whacking at each other. They were both mm-hmm. moving slowly. And Hermione, oh, so I guess it is Hermione's. Uh, Hermione guessed that the spell was taking a lot of strength out of them. It wasn't very impressive by comparison if you're a muggle born and you watch certain movies. But you still had to give them extra credit for using lightsabers at all. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so I guess it was only Harry and Hermione were the only ones that figured out like what it was. Yeah, and then Harry, of course, has to ask. He's like, "I know the defense professor is watching, but will they actually slice each other in half if they hit each other?" And apparently, <laughs> apparently, Hermione, because she's Hermione, has read about this spell and says that no, no, they cast it only to stun. And, and there's some rule about you have to be like the scion of the great and noble house of blah blah in order to cast it. Yeah, which is hilarious. It's, it's illegal because it's a class illegal. spell. Like a, it, <laughs> you have to be in the noble class to cast this spell. Not because like it's dangerous or something, but because no, no, that's a noble Rules. thing. Which is actually really funny when you think about it. Because like, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, this is for noble duels. This means that I guess it was once a popular thing for wizards to have formal duels with uh like instead of yeah. instead, i challenge you to a duel and they'll rather than yeah, shoot 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 lasers at each other they you know as as people in the muggle world did a couple centuries later they would just use their use lightsabers and try and kill each other with them <laughs> <laughs> i read that too i guess like i connected that as well only jedis get lightsabers and so that was sort of the equivalent of well you have to be like the the you know the scion of a great and noble house that was sort of the like okay only luke and leia have the force and they can't you know random assholes don't get to be jedis yeah i guess but at the very least it's it's give star giving star wars credit where it's due star wars isn't classist in that anyone can be a jedi yeah. it just takes training and apparently metachlorians <laughs> um, but uh, it, it's you know it, it wasn't like no no sorry this is for rich families only <laughs> no. that'd be pretty funny and make uh, the whole uh, burning down the Jedi temple in the prequels much more sympathetic if it was just this class like, of elite assholes the, the Jedi temple was burned down by Bolsheviks <laughs> <laughs> well and then it makes sense for uh, you know the the poor overworked proletariat <laughs> they, Anakin to be the one to do it right the, yeah they, the they executed the Zara Jedi's. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, then, then Harry and Hermione have that delightful exchange that we jumped ahead to cover a little bit, and uh, then I also like this a lot, where um, she says, uh, "I'm starting to think you need to be ta- you need to be taken down a peg, General Chaos," and he says, "You could be right. Unfortunately, there's no one left that can defeat me now, except for another Harry Potter." And then she says, oh, wait, before that, he had said something about, like, you and what other what other army are going to take me down, which is just, again, mm-hmm. him being playfully uh, playing up his supposed godhood. Mm-hmm. Um, let me be specific. I'm going to take you down a peg. Oh, th- I'm sorry. I jumped ahead. And then he says, you and what other army? And then she says, you think you're pretty, you think you're like Superman. Well, meets or uh, what is it like? 
meet Super Hermione or something. Super Hermione. Yeah. yeah. And then she does the whole, like, you know, signal, cool. raise her hand, and her team levitates her to fly at him, which, how cool would that which be? Which was like the, yeah, and I, I, I read that too as like it being another, like, Jedi lights, even though I guess like Wanda as lightsaber, but to me it like it it felt very much like like Phantom Menace, Obi Wan Kenobi, like where they could just it was like halfway between a jump and levitating, um, and they would like jump to be on the completely other side of somebody and then kind of like whack at them with their lightsaber as they flew over their head. Right, like that's how it read to me. But which and it was like another one of these that we get a lot of like this can be this super dramatic moment that falls completely f- flat on its face because she likes she's flying over being levitated that gets her like up and over the shields and she's totally going to be able to like cast the spell that she just figured out how to learn because she's Hermione she's awesome and she casts it and she's flying over and he dodges and then she crashes wow. into a wall and then she crashes in the wall yeah, it's going to be it- so cool I think, like, and that's another thing that makes Hermione, or gives her her level of awesome in this, is that, mm-hmm. like, she deduces that it'll affect him because he dodged the spell rather than let it hit him. And then she's like, you know what? I read about the mm-hmm. spell a few months ago. And, like, that's all that she needed to remember, like, all right, exactly how mm-hmm. to cast it and then actually do it on her first try. And it worked, but then, then she missed, so. And she missed. And then we get a cut to Draco, who's getting his ass stomped. And, uh, like... Oh, yeah. So what I like this, too, is he, uh, because he's, you know, been low-key doing science with Harry, he's like, all right, what the fuck? Is magic not working on him? So he just tries, like, lighting him up, and that works. Mm -hmm. And he's like, okay, so he is still being affected by magic. And then he uh, disarms him, which he's like, oh, yeah, that'd probably be a good idea anyway. (laughs) Yeah, I probably should have done that anyway. But then Theodore, the guy he's trying to take down, is just charging him, going to tackle him. And uh, Draco does that that one spell that flips you up by your feet. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's where we get the clue that it's probably plate armor and not not chainmail because it's the loud yeah. metallic sounding crash, not the jingle of plate mail <laughs> or of a of a chainmail. The, the coin purse sound of yeah. chainmail. Yeah, and and so and then so like Draco announces like oh shoot him in the face. <laughs> right. Um, although, but you, but by this point, like the fact somebody says like what code seven on Draco or something. Yeah, which I love, which means that hey, if anyone figures figures it out, yell code seven or something, which. <laughs> It's just hilarious. Uh, now that we're saying that again, I bet that's like another, that's the kind of thing that would be a little callback to something. Something somewhere has a code seven. Definitely. Yeah. It didn't even like occur to me to think that that was referenced. Like just my brain knew that it was, but I couldn't place it. Yeah, I guess like all arbitrary things have to be a reference to something else. Yeah. The story never quite forgets that it's fan fiction and yeah. peppers in all these kinds of little jokes. Yeah. So, but, 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 um, Draco get like he gets his ass kicked and they're able to like like fight back a little bit but like the rest of um Chaos Army just cleans them up yeah cuz cuz oh yeah because they've been like totally worn thin like trying to fight these guys that are in armor so they haven't been able to do anything so even by the time they do kind of figure out what they do they've been mowed down yeah um so it kind of pulls away though like we just get to see like okay they're going to be fucked but we don't really see it happen do we I don't yeah, no, it, it doesn't yeah. show it, but it does does indicate that yeah, they were already fully trounced by the time Draco had the realization that like no no blast the lieutenants in the face because they're wearing yeah. metal shirts or something, and then we get the cut back to uh, Hermione and um, apparently Daphne's gone down, and then Neville shouts the uh, prismatic wall shattering hex at 
Um, I'm not sure it's all happening fast. Battle scene, okay. whatever. He he breaks the shield on somebody, then knocks her out, and then um, they're the rest of her people are trying to levitate her, and then Harry just shoots her in the face with a somnium, and that's the whole battle. And that's it. So I'm not sure how many people Harry had left at the end of the battle, but he clearly just wiped the floor with everybody. Well, yeah, because so Harry and Neville, neither of them got taken out, and they took down every single person. Yeah. Yeah. I never when you really said that out loud. Are the rules of these battles is like, is it last man standing? Like you have to kill every single person on the other in the other armies. Yeah, I think so. Um, so, I think that's always been the thing, the except for the Christmas battle that had all those extra confusing rules because it was really fun mm-hmm. for the plot. And even those, it was still going to be down to like the last person, but you know, uh, there was a scoring system and this one doesn't have a score. Just like whoever is alive at the end wins kind of like Kill a regular all the fight. Things. Yes. All right. So then we go to the next chapter and it's like a, like an aftermath and it's, uh, the three generals in Coral's office. And I think it's like Hermione that notices that like Quirrell still looks like he's better, but he still looks kind of fucked up. Yeah, I um, forget what she exactly notices. Oh yeah, like his skin looks paler and he moves yeah, a little slower. A little slower, yeah. But he's still like being all he's being kind of extra surly to make up for it. That's right. What he lacks in apparently quick fingers and uh, skin tone, he makes up for in having piercing blue eyes and <laughs> piercing blue eyes. It just, his his piercing blue eyes get described a lot. You know, I, I'm not sure why blue necessarily, but I, I picture um, like Daniel Craig. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. His eyes are just like, you can mm-hmm. see him from across the street. They're just ching. So, you know, maybe yeah. I've got a thing for Daniel Craig. I'll work that out later. <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with that. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Especially, have you seen Knives Out? Uh, I haven't. It looked good, though. Was it good? Oh, it, it's delightful. You should watch it immediately, and then next episode we'll talk about how much you loved it. <laughs> All right then. This one's a two empanada bet. I'll bet you. I'll bet you two walk away empanada. really enjoying this movie. All right then, or I get empanadas. Yeah. Okay. So win-win. Well, hold or on. Just no lose. Yeah. No, I mean, if I don't like it, I get two empanadas. Oh yeah, that, that's yeah, yeah that's exactly. Fine. Okay, there you go. Yeah. So there's no losing. Nope. If I do like it, you get two empanadas, and then all right. Fair enough. Just good all around. Hope someone's keeping score. Some, so yeah. in a year, yeah, what's, what's go back the to, yeah, yeah, I know. Like when we go back to the office, <laughs> when all Argentines have forgotten how to make empanadas because we've been in. Man, I hope those places are staying open. I know, yeah, but I'm not about. I know, to... especially yeah, that area is like so lives by like downtown. Oh, I guess that's closer to Rhino. Now we're speaking in complete like Denverese, and nobody else knows how we're talking about. Enough to say that it's not the kind of place I'm going to go drive to to go grab a snack because it's true. like a 35-minute drive. So A little farther for me. Oh, yeah, a little bit farther, like an hour. Yeah. yeah, yeah, a little less. They're not that good. I mean. Pretty good, but, yeah, they're not like, yeah, drive an hour for an empanada. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, this has been your empanada digression. This was brought to you by Duke Media <laughs> by and Maria's Maria Empanadas. Empanadas in Denver, Colorado. <laughs> Not at all sponsored by Maria's Empanadas. And so uh, Quirrell says that he's guessing that only Mr. Malfoy has deduced why they're here. And I like Harry's guess. He's like, was it something with noble and most ancient houses? I didn't violate some kind of crazy law by firing on Daphne, did I? <laughs> um, and then it's, it's revealed somewhere in this, this dialogue that uh, Daphne didn't collapse from exhaustion later. Harry just stunned her or shot uh, her in yeah. the back, which I think is hilarious. Yeah. And, watch, and sort of like after the fact, which is like... A, kind of another sign of like the change in harry that i kind of got the impression that 
Harry didn't want to draw attention to the fact that he did it because like Harry knows that he's like playing at such an overly high level that he's going to like start to freak people out. So he's trying to downplay how badass he is. How do you mean? Because I mean, he did walk in there saying I'm super badass. and But not not in a way that like that was sort of like jokey way. But he took out uh, what was it? I can't remember. Was it Parvati? I can't remember. Padma? Um, he took out the other one at the, at the end, but we didn't really know. And he didn't sit and he didn't like we walked in there and it wasn't it was Quirrell that had to tell them like you could see like old Harry would have been all braggy about it. But this Harry like didn't say anything because like he would I mean, we didn't have this said explicitly, but it seems to me like this version of Harry is no longer trying to puff his chest and impress people. He's like legit becoming so powerful that he's now more concerned about freaking people out. And so he didn't want to say that he also took out the, the last person um, because he's he's trying to downplay how powerful he's become. Yeah. No, I see what you're saying. Um, it, it's certainly uh, like next level game playing to say I'm going to take advantage of like my windows and shoot my opponents in the back if I have to, which is kind of like the way of saying I'll do whatever it takes to win. Yeah. Yeah. Like I guess that's, I'd that's, not, that's like, not a very sportsmanlike move. Yeah. I guess I read it. Well, actually, no. In the moment, I didn't. It wasn't until like after when we kind of like his conversation later with Hermione, where he's like worried that like he's doing so well, he's leaving everybody else behind. That that he was he was trying not to draw attention to how easy it all was for him. Like when he was joking about like that was almost more jokey, and so you don't take it seriously. Um, and he's being kind of like so grandiose, you don't like read into it. But like the actually like impressive power that he was showing, he's not trying to make a lot of it oh yeah no i totally see what you're saying especially too because he was like he's concerned and i think reasonably so that like look can i not do my best without like you being resentful that i'm doing my best and it's a tough spot to be in like i'm trying to think of you know i mean like believe it or not in elementary school i took advanced math classes and then quickly stopped taking them in like sixth or seventh grade but like and so there was like a handful of us when I was in fifth grade, maybe that were being bused to the junior high for math. Um, oh, to go grades ahead. Yeah, a couple. But then I, I quickly fell right back into, you know, the median middle of the group uh, mm-hmm. in math. But I mean, there were a couple people in that group. You know, I don't I don't know exactly what a prodigy is or how to identify one, but I'm pretty sure I went to school with one. And mm-hmm. that guy is, you know, fucking genius. But um we weren't like, I wonder if we were like really close friends, if I would have resented him as a child, if he, you know, he kept just stomping me and, you know, all the other people as he, you know, continued to just climb to the top faster than anyone else. Um, and it, it would be, but so I'm, I, what I'm getting is I don't have any direct parallels of this in my real life. Um, in adulthood, it's much easier for me to totally be happy to admit like, Oh yeah, that guy's just better than me. Like I'm fine with that. Yeah. Um, and I guess like growing up like in a school environment too, we're also like slotted and ranked. Like you're not around. Like in the real adult world, you have a much wider variety of the people you're exposed to. But like growing up, we're all like, okay, you're all we're all in these. We're all you may all of your friends are within nine months age of you, and um, and you're all involved in the same activities, so you don't have as much opportunity to like just interact with people of widely different not just like wildly different levels of skill but you know skills and you know lots of different things yeah good point that's one of the weirdest things i noticed like once you're like out of college 
you realize like your your entire life you've grown up with this weirdly like stratified social circle like all your friends are exactly your age and like having a friend that's like more than two years different than you is strange all the way up until you get out into like the adult world and then suddenly it's just free for all yeah it's uh and it doesn't seem strange at the time you realize like okay that is really weird and it seems normal because it's been your entire life yeah now like most of my friends are at least five or more years older than i am um i guess most of my friends like in my immediate circle but you know with if you if i expand that to include people that i am friends with like that i don't see that much in person there's probably you know plus or minus five years but um yeah anyway uh let's see diving back in i like quirrell's whole like kind of just public dressing down of of hermione and uh draco's performance Mm -hmm. um you know he's doing it with his usual quirliness and uh He's like, well, of course you could. She's, you know, because Hermione's frustrated. She's like, you know, we almost won if we'd only figured out that he was wearing armor. And he's like, well, sure you could have. There are always in every lost battle uh, ways that you could have uh, won. I'm not delivering that very well. But uh, (laughs) um, I like this line. He says, the world around us redunds with opportunities, explodes with opportunities, which nearly all folk ignore because it would require them to violate a habit of thought. In every battle, a thousand Hufflepuff bones waiting to be sharpened into spears. <laughs> Which I'm, I'm hoping that's on our last callback to this. Uh, and like the, you know, so he lists out specifically a couple, Hufflepuff bones too, because they're they're the cannon fodder house. That's right. Well, that's what that was one of Harry's things that he when. Yeah, I remember that. Was it specific to Hufflepuff though? I can't remember. Yeah, I think it was Hufflepuff bones, and then yeah, no, it definitely was because then uh, Dumbledore calls that out on him too. Anyway, he he says, oh, but you had the misfortune to remember how to cast the stunning hex, so you did not search your excellent memory for a dozen easier spells that might have proved efficacious. <laughs> and Efficacious. Well, in that way, too, it's kind of like a, um, I mean, he's still, you know, giving her shit for it, but he, he does give a compliment to where it's due. He's like, you know, if you hadn't remembered the one thing that you, you haven't to remember, you would have remembered the dozen other things that you could have done that would yeah. might have worked. She like remembered the dramatic thing and then wasted her time with it. Exactly, and so um, <laughs> then you pointed that out too. But then he says one perceives certain similarities to how fifty Death Eaters dominated all of magical Britain and how our much loved Ministry continued in its rule. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this, um, which is like a good parallel to make. It, it uh, I, I pulled that out because it actually made me think. Just because it brought up reminding like this is Quirrell who theoretically nobody knows is Voldemort um, talking you know badly about the Death Eaters in in basically the same way when he gave his big speech to the whole school about like oh you all basically deserve what you've got because you didn't stand up to the Death Eaters um, because so he's sort of doing that again but now that I've got my Quirrell as Voldemort hat on it made me wonder like <clears throat> so what is what does this mean when he's when he's talking like this and what does Quirrell really think of the Death Eaters because it could go like a number of different ways like maybe he's just full up lying um, and this is all just an act of him pretending to disapprove of the Death Eaters um, or does he or is maybe are like the Death like because we don't know anything about like the real backstory and maybe the Death Eaters and Voldemort weren't really you know aligned and that he really that he legit does you know, hate the Death Eaters, but maybe not for the reasons we think. Um, or maybe like kind of halfway in between is, uh, yes, he is lying a little bit in in that, yes, the Death Eaters were working for him, 
Um, but he's like, they're like his disappointing children. Like, oh, I can't believe they fucked this up so badly. We could, we should have had this, but they fucked it all up. Like, so that like, that's this big question mark. Like right now is like, what is Quirrell's actual attitude toward the Death Eaters? Because we don't know. Because we don't really have any idea like what was his actual relationship to the Death Eaters. Like, I guess everybody's like, okay, the Death Eaters work for Voldemort, but we don't know that that's, since the whole Voldemort thing is totally up in the air, we don't know what the real relationship was. And that's a good point. And that reminds me, like, you know, whatever Quirrell's uh, business is, like, he also really seems to be pretty disdainful of Voldemort. Like, in his opening lecture, he talked about what a fucking dumbass he was and how, you know, they're so easy to bait because they're always uh, quick to anger and quick to escalate. And he says, anyone who makes a habit of fighting dark wizards uh, learns to use that as an exploitable weakness. And he gave that, you know, that uh, that story about how he went off to monk school to go learn martial arts. And then the Dark Lord shows up, wants to get taught. And then when they won't teach him, gets pissy and rips everyone's tongues out. And I know. And he talks. I was thinking about that before, too, that because he talks about and I think that was like one of the early on times where I'm like okay maybe like is this guy not actually Voldemort because at that point we're still sort of like you know primed to like we all know from the originals that Quirrell is Voldemort so we're still primed to think that and then that was one of these kind of early like misdirections of okay maybe he's not but but he does like I mean he doesn't just sort of like make a show of like this he very much speaks about that Voldemort uh going in to you know like get trained and fucked up so he just like lays waste to the whole place like there's a lot of disapproval in the way he talks about that Voldemort so it's make it like so then who is that Voldemort is that uh because now I'm also thinking in terms of when he's talking to Harry about like you know we're Harry's you know big um like the the what am I trying to say like the the whiplash Harry feels when he when as he's like thinking about um that Quirrell is all these different people um, and that sort of like ties into the, and, you know, Quirrell and Harry are both Voldemort. But then what is like, who is Quirrell? Not like, like, is there a real Quirrell? Um, and is that Voldemort, like, if are they all just bullshit? And is he more pissed? Like that, yes, that was him. Yes, that's a real thing that happened, but he doesn't even really identify it with it either. And so it's like, like, like just this like it's more just this concept of a thing that he's pissed off about and he was just sort of like playing it i don't know but, i like that because there's like, like there's all these like disconnected bits of voldemort that don't work if you're treating them as like okay this is one person acting in good faith with a consistent set of motivations but quirrell's full of shit all the time um so you can't really like so you can't know like in any one thing is that the actual like is that a representation of his actual motives or is that just an act yeah and is and is the way he talks about it even after the fact his actual motivation about it or is the way he's talking about it also just an act yeah like harry had the concern like is there anyone who he really is underneath yeah yeah, and so you know, as, and as we're saying that, because he made such a big deal of turning it into a thing he would teach about, um, then is that all? Like, I guess did we have? Do we know that that story actually happened, or is that just a thing he says? Um, the, the whole scene where he like kills everybody up in the mountains. Oh yeah, I mean we don't have anything. Is that other just than... okay? So that wasn't like him talking about a thing that everybody already knew. That was him announcing a thing that everybody was just having to take his word for. Well, I mean, certainly we don't know it. Yeah. Um, so that's what I want. Like maybe that's just like he's got this, this crafted 
like idea like he has this boogeyman of a Voldemort that he's using to manipulate people. And so it's like it's a story that he turns into whatever he needs it to be. Wait, you mean all the Voldemort business or the thing with the monk temple? That story. No, you know, yeah, just that temple. Like if it's that do we know that that happened or could it be that he completely invented that for the sake of having a story to tell? Oh, yeah. I thought you meant the whole Voldemort business. Like, no, I'm no, pretty no. sure that guy was running around. People saw him and everything. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. All we have, like, yeah, there, this wasn't anywhere in the story, like, laid out yeah. to be a thing that, oh, yes, I remember reading about that in my Voldemort a History book. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't like he was talking about this thing everybody already knew about. He was, like, saying, oh, and by the way, here's this thing you didn't know about Voldemort. Because I'm because it's sort of fits into like his plan with Harry of okay we're going to invent a Voldemort for you to kill so everybody thinks Voldemort's gone um that's sort of like fit like that's the same thing if he was just going to invent a story about Voldemort went in and killed all the you know the Buddhist monks training Doctor Strange um that's always gonna be how I picture that um like that's also just like a story that is useful for him to tell that doesn't necessarily have to have happened at all yeah that's a good point I also love that that's a very properly paranoid way to think about it. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Well, yeah, because it, it also seemed like there's a lot of stuff playing around with like, okay, in a very sort of like Phil Dick kind of way. Like, no, we don't know who anybody is anymore. Um, and we don't really even know who Harry is anymore. Very so, exciting stuff. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Right, well, where the hell were we? We were. Total, all of that was him just like, was where my brain went from him just bitching about. Um, how no, how all of Britain nearly got taken over by 50 Death Eaters. No, no, that's awesome. Like, how, does it, um, how does he think about Death Eaters? So. Yeah. No, that, that was a good aside. Um, so it ends with him saying, all right, you go, you guys did your best and Potter easily outclassed both of you. So Potter, you're going to give up eight people from your army, eight soldiers from your army, including at least one lieutenant and divide them among Dragon and Sunshine. And... Hermione is like aghast, like, well, what the hell? And Harry looks shocked, and then Draco just looks resigned because he's the one who saw it coming. And um, I like how uh, Quirrell says, General Potter is stronger than the both of you together. Your contest is over. He has won. It's time to rebalance the three armies to present him with a renewed challenge. I know, and how it's being sort of like, sort of explicitly stated as like, this is all here for Harry's benefit. You're not being a good enough, you know, training facility for Harry, so we got to fix that. That was my read on it. I was thinking about that line actually today. And while that's what he says, like it also doesn't make sense for like the game isn't as far as this is like a useful thing for them to have. And like, unless all of this army's bullshit was just like a thing for him specifically to train Harry this whole year, then like it in order, I mean, that could be his only goal, but if it's anything larger than that, then it would make sense to have all the army's benefit and like getting just, your ass is whooped every battle by the one army who keeps crushing you. That's not very useful for the other generals either. And so, although it does fit, like if this is, if Coral is like engaged in this master plan to turn Harry into the dark Lord of all Britain, like then this sort of fits, like he's trying to get Harry as trained up as he can. And they're not enough of a challenge for him anymore. So he's got to make them, he's got to level everybody up. Totally. And, and yeah, so I guess it doesn't have to be either or it can be both. Like, you know, you guys aren't good enough to train Harry anymore. And uh, the only way to get you guys a better uh, opponent for, you know, just train my young apprentice is to, <laughs> like, actually get you guys stronger, too. Let's, yeah. let's renew, let, you know, let's rebalance the game and start it over and take it from there. And then everybody gets to actually fight on more even terms again. 
I'm surprised we don't get more Palpatine references in this. It totally fits, but... I'll keep my eyes peeled for him, because you're yeah, right, that there's, you know... We should, we should be having, like, Quirrell as Palpatine. That should be a thing. That should definitely be a thing. I mean, he does call them his young apprentices in his first lecture, but uh-huh. there's, there's got to be more than that. We'll keep our eyes peeled. I also like how he just, uh, I don't know what you call it, title drops when Harry's, like, trying to, trying to protest, and... He says, this is my decision as professor of battle magic at the Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry and is not subject to negotiation. And it's like, yeah, dude, we know you're professor. I called you Professor Quirrell. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he just, I, I like the, uh, I, mean, I, I get what he's doing, but it's just, I, I, for whatever reason, that makes me laugh. And it's like, all right, title drop. You know, we, we, we mm. know it. Yeah, he's just. Remember your place. He's flexing his credentials at them. Yeah. And, and the other the other thing I put in the notes here is that this this is what reminded me the most of uh, well battle schools the big one but um, that this reminded me of Ender's Game especially in the early parts where like they intentionally they make things really hard for Ender um, until he adapts until he rises to the occasion and once he rises to the occasion they make it hard for him again like they keep him in this like perpetual state of uh, everything's a little bit harder for you than you can handle um, and so he's kind of doing the same thing to. Harry here. Yeah, I feel like he chose an excellent time to reread Ender's Game. I know. I think not a coincidence. I think this this caused me to pick Ender's Game. Oh, the yeah, I mean, yeah, not yeah. A, not necessarily a coincidence, but still still good timing because mm-hmm. I mean I had, I hadn't read that since maybe twenty fourteen or fifteen, and it would have been around when I'd read this, I guess. Um, yeah, I, actually, I I associate the those first three Ender's books um, with uh, audiobooks. Like so, I and I can I almost can remember the name of the guy. The guy that did the audiobook for Ender's Game was really, really good. He had this cool, like, deep, kind of thundery voice. Um, Maybe I'll give it a shot and revisit the book because I yeah. I read it really quickly because I was it was just a uh, one of those kind of page turners where I'm just yeah. eager to see what happens. I'm sure I missed some stuff. So yeah, so yeah, so reading it to my daughter is the first time I've read it. Read it. Read it. Um, yeah, so I listened to it as an audiobook. That was the first time too where I. Like, because that was, um, and it was a long book for an audiobook, um, where you sort of like realize the the big difference between like just how your brain absorbs a book between reading it versus hearing it. Like, it's just it enters your brain differently. Yeah, I have a hard time sometimes with audiobooks because it's so easy to miss parts. Um, mm-hmm. But then it's also easy enough just to hit the fifteen seconds back button and catch it again. Yeah. So. Uh, you pulled out the line where he says, uh, you know, for you to learn at your full potential, you must exercise your full abilities and not hold back for any reason, particularly not childish frets over what your friends might think. Yeah, and that was like a specific callback to like, and I don't even like, so when Harry, when Harry refused to go along with Quarles' plan of like inventing a fake Voldemort for him to defeat, um, I, don't, I don't remember ex- actually Quarrel saying explicitly like that it pissed him off that the reason was because of what his friends thought or i guess maybe like he didn't say it as much as like i could read between the lines of how big a deal that would be to quarrel like how not good enough a reason um to quarrel it would be for harry to only be doing it because of what hermione and drenko thought um yeah but so this is like calling back to like because he's very like phrases it in almost exactly the same way. This is kind of him saying, like, this is fucked up. Actually, it doesn't even seem to me like he's so much saying it as a, like, not saying it as a message to Harry, but, I mean, he is, but that it's more like, like, it just bothers him that Harry 
is doing things because he cares about the opinions of others and he just kind of like he's trying to stamp that out in Harry. Yeah, I think um, I think he does say something kind of to that effect when Harry refuses. He's like, do you, you know, do you really care what they think or something? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I I'm with you. Like, I think he's he's trying to stamp that out because I think he feels like it's holding him back. And yeah. I I put in the notes that I think Quirrell's probably just jealous that Harry has friends that he cares about and cares about their opinions of him. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of picking like I'm starting to decide this a pattern of like Quirrell is like fundamentally a psychopath and just doesn't get the idea of like having people you care about and that being a main like motivation for the actions you take. And so a lot of what he's, but he like, he understands it as a phenomenon in the universe and that it is a phenomenon that is happening to Harry and it's a inconvenient problem he's trying to solve. Uh, But that it's, but he's like an alien on that one. He He doesn't get it at all. He just understands it as a, this, this foreign thing that's happening that he has to deal with. I like that a lot. Like he, he's you're in you're, what you're saying is that he's like a psychopath who does who doesn't he, he can't relate to this whatsoever but he sees it as like a stupid problem that people have yeah he, yeah <laughs> this this stupid problem that you have of like friends is such a thing that would even stamp <laughs> the shit out of you mm-hmm. yeah yeah because it, i mean it comes up later where um or did we already but yeah where you can tell that like he, he's trying to separate them. He's trying to separate Harry from them because they are getting in the way of him kind of owning Harry's brain. Um, but at least for me, like the, like the way it feels, the way it's reading to me is like he doesn't get it. Like he understands it as a thing, but it's this completely foreign idea to him that he's just trying to like reject. Like he's just trying to make it go away because it just doesn't, it doesn't have any value to him and he doesn't understand it. It's not anything he can participate in at all. Love it. So. Which also works too. Like the only person Quirrell gives a shit about is Harry because he, they're the same guy. Like the only person he can give a shit about is himself. Hmm. So. Yeah. I mean, I wonder like, does he, when you say cares about, I think that's kind of like, uh, I, I think that's equivocating on care. Like I, I get the feeling he doesn't care if he hurts Harry's feelings. Like Harry would care if he hurt Hermione's feelings. You're saying, he does, I think like the, the only times we ever see him and he like tries to bullshit around it, but like, <clears throat> like Harry is the only person he has ever given a Christmas gift to, which was the, you know, the looking at the stars. Um, like, so the only, the only times he has like any hints of acting like a human are towards Harry and they're still like weird and cold, but like the only cracks in that are with Harry. He's just found a book like how to human and and oh yeah. you give you give you know human friends give their friends presents yeah, yeah. well i mean even the, like that one to me like at least that one especially like the way that was written was that it was supposed to be sort of this nice moment um like it felt it felt to me like this is the only like tiny little bit of humanity you can see in him or like and and coral did like sort of like go to efforts to like downplay the kind of emotional significance of what he was doing, but that it was like the only times of him having sort of any like actual emotional expression of anything are these like him being nice to Harry and, but, and then him like later trying to pretend like it wasn't that, but yeah, that's he doesn't point. do any, he doesn't make any kind of gestures of like being a human, nice person to anybody besides Harry. Yeah, no, good, good point there. Um, let's see. Oh yeah. So, um, they leave the defense professor's office. Now we're in Hermione's point of view. I think 
yeah again but it's still a line break just to indicate a scene change i guess and um it's like basically hermione's trying to keep it together because she's feeling frustrated as all hell i think not just because she got her ass like handed to her which is trying her best but because like she's she is being seen as like we like you pointed out in the uh um the, the line about, you know, for you to learn at your full potential, you must exercise mm-hmm. your full abilities, etc. Um, like, Professor Quirrell's not saying that to Draco and to Hermione. He's saying that to Harry. And she's like, why am I a fucking prop in this story? Yeah. I think that's what's getting, her, getting to her more than just losing. Even losing so soundly, right? Yeah. And this kind of, this is sort of where it starts up. This becomes sort of the main focus for the rest of these chapters is, like, Hermione not wanting to be, you know, an extra in Harry's life. Exactly. And I love that so much. I think it's awesome. Yeah. Um, so she tried. Uh, oh, there was like a little line I pulled out. I don't know what to make of it, if it means anything. But when she walks out of Coral's uh, office, she says she feels like a sad little bug that has just been squished. And that's like such a, like, you know, explicit callback to the Rita Skeeter thing that I'm like, I didn't know. I mean, maybe it was a coincidence, but I don't know what to make of it as any significance to it. But it seemed like it was an awful coincidence of freezing. It does seem like a coincidence i think like i i picked it up as just like an expression that i hadn't heard before but it makes sense but yeah you're right like having and it's quarrel that did it to her so right but yeah exactly so since we know that he did squish a bug at some point um for her to leave thinking that is is pretty uh on the nose <laughs> yeah um, uh, and that may be all there is to it it may just be like you know quarrel fucks with people and hermione has been who he has fucked with but <gasps> maybe this is a statement ah. This is like Quirrell, because I think I have a little note later that Quirrell is more out to get Hermione. So he sees Hermione and Draco as a problem in, in interfering with him getting to Harry. Um, and But he more dislikes Hermione because, you know, of Hermione and Draco being a problem, Hermione's the more alien to him. Like, he just doesn't fucking get her. Um, and so he's more like, if, if he's going to solve one of these problems, Hermione's the one he wants to solve more than Draco. Because he at least understands how Draco works. Um, so I wonder if this is kind of a little like hint of Quirrell's got it out for Hermione. Hmm. Oh, I see what you're saying. The other thing, yeah. too, is I guess like Draco is at least has some utility to Harry and his plans for Harry as being like the next Lord Malfoy. Yeah. And, well, think, and, yeah. And, and also like understands. If he's just, I'm sorry. Yeah, he, like he knows he can he understands how Draco works and he can predict how Draco is going to behave better than Hermione because he just doesn't understand how Hermione's work. Yeah. Hermione is an alien to him where, you know, he gets Draco. Draco's Slytherin. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like that. Um, Harry's trying to explain that like, yes, I, I did try really hard to get you guys to fight in the roof in the last battle. Um, And he kind of hints, but doesn't want to say because Draco's there that he used his dark side. And, um, Mm -hmm. and that's where she's kind of like getting more and more frustrated that, Oh, okay. So she ever got close to winning then he would just go into his dark side and crush her. Like, of course it was that, you know, Jesus, she can't even look him in the eyes when he's like that. And um, then the whatever hallway forks and Draco and Harry go left. And then Harry says, oh, hold on. And he goes to run, catch up to Hermione and like kind of physically blocks her in the hallway because she's shutting him out. Mm-hmm. And he's like, look, please, you know, this, this, I didn't run away from you when you're beating me in all my classes, except broomstick riding. And uh, <laughs> which I like how they, I think it was like a throwaway line from Hermione way back when Harry was, you know, their their academic competition was more salient, but that broomstick riding is like gym and it doesn't count. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, 
Yeah, and, was, and so, and you can tell like Harry's not wanting to, he like he doesn't want like this power that he's that he's got to make her feel like shit, and he's sort of like trying to work out how to deal with that. And then, so he has this line that I pulled. It was, um, if I have you for a friend, will I always be afraid to do better because I know it will hurt your feelings? Uh, and it's sort of read like both ways that, like, so he's he is bothered that like this is causing a, a wedge between him and Hermione. But it also felt like that is the kind of thing Quirrell would say. Like that was kind of like Quirrell getting into his head of, cause like the wording was okay, but it was very much sort of a, why do I have to like hang out with these mortals? They're like, you're all beneath me. Yeah. Do I have to keep um, bringing myself down to your level? That is a yeah. very quirly thing to say. And yeah. like, Oh, I had something for this and I lost my train of thought. Um, like it's mm, nope i forgot it um yeah i i mean it's it's a bit of him getting into harry's head maybe but it's also like i think because harry's like it says you know a high desperate whisper and like he he's clearly like emotionally struggling with this so it's not if it's if oh wait it's, go back and you said, uh what was the, i didn't read that what was the high desperate whisper because when you say that i'm like oh that's how voldemort talks Oh, I mean, sure, but uh, the line before that, I'll, so I'll read that line too. It says, "She started walking again, walked right past him, and as she passed, as she passed, Harry's face tightened up like he was going to cry." And then it says, "Is Professor Quirrell right?" Said it came a high, desperate whisper from behind her. So it's not at all. Oh, no, okay, but, yeah. Yeah. no, If I have you for a friend, will I always be afraid to do better than you? Because I know, I know it'll hurt your feelings. That's not fair. And so it's it's a very quirly thing to say, but a very unquirly oh, sentiment yeah. behind it. Yeah. Well, yeah, and like this whole like chasing her down the hallway thing is a very like he's only doing this because he cares about Hermione. Totally. There's no there's no selfish reason for him to be, you know, trying to talk to her. Oh yeah, exactly. I mean, this isn't a, a self serving. I mean, yeah. it's self serving that he wants to keep his friend, but it's not a yeah. A it's a very unquirl. Yeah, it's a very unquirl way for him to be acting. Yeah. I do like the uh, that. So then we get a scene change to Professor McGonagall, who just marks someone down to negative two hundred points uh, <laughs> because it's a fifth year, and apparently they had an error in their essay that would kill that could potentially kill people. And she's kind of lamenting. No, that she, yeah, she's like, yeah. Sometimes I have to tell students, please don't ever try to do this out in the real world because you're terrible at it. And sometimes they listen, and sometimes they don't. Right, and I'm. It's like uh, I mean, there's people like that in our industry. Like they they get good enough to be dangerous, and they think they're good, but they're not. And it's like, please oh, don't, God. please don't do stuff. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I got there's a name I'm not saying. Wouldn't mean anything, but let me say sometime when we're off the air, let me just bitch about my coworkers, but Deal. <laughs> I mean I, I can very briefly bitch about one of my old coworkers and I had a guy that was just like this. Luckily he didn't have enough power to actually be dangerous, but he, he just thought he was awesome. And it's like, dude, yeah. you suck at this. I know, and, that's what I'm, I'm like, not you I, can, I'm not you I can be bad at your job or you can be an asshole. You can't be both. Right. And I wasn't saying this to somebody who was good at it, but I, I sucked less than he did to the point where like I hated working with on working with him on stuff because it was always by git commits like 12 to 1 my work. And it was yeah. Anyway, yeah. so you give him another few years and he's going to be exactly like the person who McGonagall just marked down negative 200 points. Um I just want to say I'm pretty sure that's the first time we've used the phrase git commits in this podcast. Yep, not going to explain it. <laughs> um so, uh Hermione goes in to go see her because uh, she had just this kind of freak out concern that she just wasn't, well, that's not exactly how the order goes in. So she comes in and she's clearly been crying 
And she all, all she says is, you said that I should come see if I was ever worried or uncomfortable at anything. And she's like, yes, now what happened? And um, Which I just, cut, I, yeah. I love Grandma McGonagall. She's the best. I know. I really, yeah, I really like, it's sort of like he took the McGonagall from the books and the movies that we th- thought was there and said, yes, that's her. Because we see a lot more of her as a person than we do in the original books. Totally. Yeah. And she, she's a, I, I think she's just a great character. Like you, I don't know. I, I, I feel like I really like, like her as a character, yeah, like yeah. as a person. And, yeah. you know, not, not every time does a, a book convey its characters that way. So, um, yeah. Then it transitions to Hermione being on the, uh, revolving staircase that magically takes people up upwards. Um, with Professor McGonagall being escorted to Dumbledore's office. And this is the line where she's going back and thinking about how, like, once she had gone running off away from Harry, she just sat there and cried for a while and then was thinking that, um, like, this kind of, it wasn't quite a run-on sentence, but it was like a long paragraph of her that kind of just conveys that spiraling thinking of, like, mm-hmm. okay, yes, you know, I, I lost to Harry, that's fine, but um, then she thought of, like, the other 14 things that she should have tried, which is fun because Quirrell said 12 and she thought of 14. I just, I just noticed that. Um, and then she started wondering if she was making that same sort of mistake about other things. And that's how she ended up knocking Professor McGonagall's door. And I like that. I can sympathize with that a lot where it's like, oh, damn, I'm just noticing all these little like weaknesses. Man, what if my life's full of those? And then she does the very Hermione and awesome thing of like reaching out for help. And yeah. what's funny about a, that. A thing that would never occur to Quirrell. It, well, and that's that's why yeah. I think it's funny about this, because she says, just telling Professor McGonagall everything, because when she had thought of it, it seemed like one of the thousand alternatives that Professor Quirrell had been talking about. <laughs> Hundred bucks says that was not on his list of a thousand things. Exactly. Go talk to a trusted professor. Exactly. Right? But, it, but, it, but in her version, which is the better version of like, how else can I do better and feel better about stuff, on, that, on the top of that short list is reach out to a uh, trusted adult, right? So yeah. that's what she does, and it's awesome. Yeah, and then this was the it was this part when she was thinking um, that th- this is what where it clicked for me about Quirrell uh, thinking of Draco and Hermione as obstacles for him. That um, because she was talking about like she was sort of accepting that okay she she can't take on Harry in any kind of one to one way, but at least she was never gonna she. Um, was sort of promising herself, well, at least I'm never, I'm never going to lose to Draco if I can avoid it. And that she was sort of irritated that Quarrel sort of praised Draco for not ignoring the quote, you know, thousand alternatives. Um, and so then it, it was that point thinking about like that sort of dynamic between Quarrel and Draco and Hermione, where I was like, oh, they're like a problem that he's, they're in his way now. And so he's going to try to like get rid of them. So... Yeah, I'm. I guess we'll put a pin in that and see what happens. Yeah. I uh, certainly that sounds worrying. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, they get to Dumbledore's office, and it's just this kind of cute moment where like she's looking around at the dozens of things, and like mm-hmm. on her third count, it's still a different number, but she's like, well, the, and, and her perfect memory is saying that nothing had been added or removed, which is just like, yep, Dumbledore's office gonna yep. be crazy. Magic, magic, magic office. Yeah, like and he has a really good line about that. Um, it's the end. It was, he, he did a good tie back to that, you know. But yeah, like, and it does like a good. We always kind of have like that's the, in the original books and and in this one too. Like going into Dumbledore's office is always this like, you know, weird magic castle thing of, like it's this place where reality is kind of wonky. 
And I imagine that gets truer and truer the closer you get to Dumbledore's desk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he's just peacefully hanging out, and he's just like, so, uh, Miss Granger. And um, then uh, Professor McGonagall instructs her to tell uh, Hermione, or tell Professor McGonagall instructs Hermione to tell Dumbledore everything that she had just said about Harry. And then she goes on about that and uh, let's about how, you know, things have changed in the last few weeks since Fox had been on his shoulder. And then Dumbledore, you know, with all the grandiosity of the wise old wizard says, mm-hmm. I am sorry, Hermione Granger. That is unfortunate, but I cannot say it is unexpected. That is a hero's burden, which you see. And I know this whole interchange, he gets very like meta, like, oh, we're all in a story and Harry's the hero. And, um, and the whole vibe of this is like Dumbledore's just fucking useless. Um, and just like kind of disconnected from reality. Like he's just like, regardless of like how much you think the validity of like, Oh, these are stories and these are our roles to play in them. Blah, blah, blah. He's not saying anything useful at all for Hermione. He's just like, well, I guess these are the things that we do and he's a hero and blah, blah, blah. That's why I'm glad, or that's, that's why I deliberately wanted to include 69 in this, uh, week's reading as well because he gets his redeeming moment in that one because on its own this whole exchange does not come off very well looking for Dumbledore like I feel like the whole time he's kind of being an, un- an unhelpful jerk and he's yeah. like well no you know Harry's the the star of this play and you need to play your role as a supporting actress and she's just like but fuck that and he's like oh but it's really important that you know you you not abandon him you know who knows how bad that would be you know to, to ruin that friendship yeah, and, it's and, almost, and it's almost even worse because it feels like like it's not just that he's not being helpful, it's that he's full of shit. Like it's this like bullshit kind of like it's almost like you're not talking to a person, you're talking to a script. That yeah. He's just like, oh, these are heroes and here I'm like, shut up. Well, and the so. best thing is that then in the next chapter we, we get that this was fully on purpose. He said all yeah. of this stuff just to ensure that she'd go out and go do heroic stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I like I said on this whole interaction is just like, man, Dumbledore, you are not being the Dumbledore that we've come to know and love. Why are you acting like this? And yeah. Then of course it comes all back in a perfect, perfectly Dumbledore way. But yeah. And it's weird. Like at this point where you just sort of like, you don't have anything to latch onto in terms of like there being any valuable help out of this interaction with him that um, it's like more frustrating because you don't even feel like you, you talk to, you know, actually Dumbledore. Like you're not like it, w- it would be it would be better if it was, OK, this is a person that's not giving me what I want. But it's almost like you're being fooled into thinking you had a conversation with somebody, but he's really just kind of, you know, he's just feeding you pablum, as they say. Yeah, you used um, the, the line reading from a script earlier, and I think that that yeah. fits perfectly. Um, um, anyway, yeah. which it, like at this point, like because we don't know that there's like a, a, a plan from an actual person behind this that is just like, well, this fucking sucks. Yeah, exactly. And, a little bit, and kind of back more to like, okay, maybe Dumbledore's just fucking like, you know, doddering old fool. Like maybe he's just like crazy. Like crazy seems like the wrong word for it anymore. But like, okay, maybe all of this is, maybe he's not a helpful, like wise person. Maybe he's just this idiot that follows these like ideas of how the world works. So you're like, ah, eh, sucks. Yeah. But I mean, we can paraphrase as much of the conversation as we want. But basically he's, he in no uncertain terms basically says like, you need to settle for being second best and uh, playing your your supporting role because you know the world. In fact, he he says um, and there's this nice moment too that kind of speaks uh, to like just 
I don't know. So he says, all the world knows that it is I who defeated Grindelwald. And if you remember Elizabeth Beckett, who died opening the way so that I could pass through. And yet she is remembered. And then, like, that that's a, a nice way to think about it. Like, yes, there are, there are the heroes that are in the books, and then there are the unsung heroes who make it possible for the heroes in yeah. Dumbledore's phrasing to go through and do all this stuff. But then he goes on to kind of undermine that nice sentiment by saying, Harry Potter is the hero of this play, Miss Granger, and the world does revolve around him. He is destined <laughs> for great things. And um, and I ween that in time, the, the name I mean. Albus Dumbledore will be remembered as Harry Potter's mysterious old wizard for more than for anything else I have done. And it's like, you're going there trying to get some self-actualization advice from this sage old wizard and he's basically like oh yeah no none of that you're he this this is all his his story you're you're going to be a background character that nobody will remember except for him and uh, yeah and and he says like um he says i'm not going to tell you what's really going on but if i did tell you what was really going on you would be totally okay with being a sidekick in this story (laughs) (laughs) yeah great thanks great line just trust me and, you know, the funny thing is he he might be right. He might be wrong, actually, because, you know, Hermione does have the real, like, hero's spirit in her, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Um, she's, she's not content to just sit back. And, of course, now that I think about it, there's no way he was being serious there. Um, yeah. Because the whole thing here was geared towards getting her to uh, fast-track her way to being a hero. Um, and we can talk a bit about what yeah, that so I wonder. Yeah, I wonder if then... So, yeah, if we... So, a little bit later, we see, like, all of this is a basically a show to try to get her to decide she wants to be a hero too. But I wonder what that means then about, cause he's saying like, Oh, I was, ba- I was the hero in defeating Grindelwald. Um, I wonder what he thinks of himself in that role. Like, does he think he's a hero or does he think it was all just a, like everybody's kind of playing a role and like, you know, I'm, I'm not actually a hero. I'm just the person that was like slotted into that role when it happened. Um, like, in, like in the moment he's saying this, we don't yet know that this was all just a performance. Um, but now knowing that, I wonder what does he think about himself in the Grindelwald days? That's a good question. And you're right, because everything he's saying here is he's putting on a play, so it's hard to, yeah. to read too much into it. But yeah. I do want to ta- talk about Because he talks about himself as just sort of like being like, oh, like I just happened to be in that role. Um, but is, but then talks about Harry as being like that sort of like legit and that, oh, Harry is super important. The world revolves around him. Does that mean that like Dumbledore thinks the world revolved around him at one point? And he, because he talks it down, it's like, oh, nobody, nobody hears about like the, the other, the other heroes in the story. Nobody remembers. So it seems like he's kind of talks about it in two different ways. Yeah. And when we get down to the next chapter, when she's asking Harry, like, uh, what was the line? Like, um, what do you think stops people from being themselves and what is a hero? I want to, we can each try and give our own answers to those two for fun. Um, but I do like the thing where Hermione says, I don't want to be a hero's companion or a hero. I just want to be me. And then she thinks, well, maybe I did want to be a hero, but she didn't want to change what she said. Mm-hmm. And then he says, ah, that is a tall order. And then he goes over to like the, this emblazoned shield of Hogwarts. And then Hermione realizes like just how old it looks and occurred to like where That's it was. The shield. And, yeah. It's the shield of Hogwarts. And he's tapping it, like <laughs> tapping his finger on the faded badger, making Hermione wince for the sacrilege, <laughs> if it was the original. A Hufflepuff would say that people fail to become who they are meant to be because they're too lazy to put in all the work involved. A Ravenclaw 
would repeat those words that the wise know to be far older than Socrates, know thyself, and that people fail to become who they are meant to be through ignorance and lack of thought. Salazar Slytherin, why, he would say that we become who we are meant to be by following our desires, wherever they may lead. Um, and then he goes on, he elaborates on that a bit. He says, perhaps it would be, or perhaps he would say that people fail to become themselves because they refuse to do what is necessary to achieve their ambitions. But then one notes that nearly all the dark wizards to come out of Hogwarts have been Slytherins. Did they become what they were meant to be? I think not. Then he taps the lion. Tell me, Miss Granger, what would a Gryffindor say? I need not ask whether the sorting hat, sorting hat offered you that house. And I like her. I think her answer's uh, part of maybe what Gryffindor might say. Um, again, Dumbledore is, I mean, he's, get, he's making more educated guesses than the rest of us. But in the end, yeah. I think he's guessing. Um, he, she says, a Gryffindor would say that people don't become who, they're, who they should be because they're afraid. And he says, pe- most people are afraid. They live their whole lives circumscribed by a crippling fear that cuts off everything they might accomplish, everything they might become. And then uh, he says, no, no, Godric Gryffindor would have said, people become who they're meant to be by doing what is right. Which yeah, that kind feels of... like, like that one clicked, and that's what he then keeps saying to Hermione. Like, he sort of identifies that as like Hermione's core nature as like, I know you are a person that will do what is right. And not that he's like trying to force like, oh, and I know what right is, and so I know what you will do. But he's like, you will do what is right. So you just have to figure out what that is. Yeah. I also like, you know, his, his estimates of the other houses aren't maybe that far off, but it does seem kind of like Gryffindor is getting the pedestal here. And maybe his, uh, his house bias is shining a little bit because yeah. oh, what only Gryffindors know what's right. Or it's not that they know what's right. That they, like they, they self-actualize by doing the right thing. And the other three just do other things than what's quote the right thing to do. That seems maybe a little unfair yeah <laughs> but uh yeah, it's true. yeah so and she comes back though like doesn't she say something like oh i'm a, a ravenclaw so i'm going to think um she says something like that. i lost like i'm only probably. remembering that now as we're saying it but yeah i think i can't remember that line either but that sounds like something that she would say yeah um in any case uh and that, that did then come back to the cool line that i thought like as she's like trying to figure this out and he's like oh well, what are you going to do and she because she like just doesn't know what the hell she's going to do. And the line was, there was a long space filled with the sounds of things that could not be counted. <laughs> so that was, I was just like a cool, uh, he's got a he does this like, uh, fairly often where he gets these like nice little kind of poetic sounding lines because that's like a callback to like, she was, you know, trying to count all the things in his office, all these weird things. And so now that she's just sort of like left with this uncertainty and has nothing to say that all like kind of all that's left is like, Oh yeah, there's just all these things lying around. Yeah. That's, that's like the, the part of writing. Like I think I could probably, and maybe it's possible to learn how to do these, these other little nuggets too. But like, I think it'd be possible for me to learn like how to write like a structured story, you know, what the, what the appropriate formulas are for good story writing and that sort of stuff. But little lines like that, they can't teach how to put those things in books, you know, Um, or they can't. From what I hear, like, like quote writer people that they like sit around, like not that they sit around, but like they will be sort of little ideas will just randomly occur to them. So they'll like have their little notebooks and they'll write that shit down. Uh, which that kind of like I'm just going to prefer to think that's not what happened here because that just seems like totally like affected and lame <laughs> like oh I just had a capital D deep capital T thought I'm going to write that down and use it on people to impress them <laughs> well and like that thought I think would be hard to just occur to you out of the ether while you know you're yeah. you're standing in line at Starbucks and you're like oh wait mm-hmm. the the silence of the silence things of that things could not be counted is perfect 
Yeah, unless yeah, you know where like, that's going. Yeah, yeah. There's just like you know random combinations of words like pop in your brain, and every once in a while they sound deep, so you write them down. I prefer to think that like that's not ever how people talk, and that's sort of like the game is like when when you do write something like that, you're trying to like pretend that that's not how it came about. That it wasn't just like word salad that you thought sounded cool, so you tried to like craft a story around it. <laughs> I think that's got to be part of the the secret sauce, though, right? Um, I was like, when I found out, like, like getting go back into lit nerd, like Hemingway is sort of known for writing very, very simply, and like, like, like sort of like the Old Man in the Sea being like the famously short thing because he's all about like being terse and yada yada. And so it comes this this like like he's very like simple and straightforward and doesn't you know like use fancy words and he's not all affected. Um, but then you find out like he would like edit and edit and edit and edit. So he would write something like the, the version you got was like there were 30 finely crafted versions of what he wrote before he decided that that was just exactly the right way to fake authenticity. It bothered oh, well, me a lot. <laughs> that actually, I, I actually like that because like I've read a couple of, you know, whatever I had to read in school of Hemingway and I found his writing to be like the most dry, boring shit I ever had to like drag my eyes over and the fact that it was it was on purpose at least (laughs) no no well that that actually makes me appreciate it a lot because like the way that i as as a child reading this stuff i read this and i'm like how does anyone think this is interesting this is just clearly somebody sat down and you know bullshitted his way through a story i mean if all all that it means that if that's my takeaway all that that means is that I, i was too uneducated at the time or unappreciative to actually get it but that there was actually stuff there. The fact that he worked well, hard I mean, to put that there, well, I think, see, that's what I think that has value. Like he worked now, but it, at least like the, the reason it bothered me because it feels too much like he worked very, very hard to make it look like he didn't work hard at all on it. And that it's just like, that's just how it came out of his, you know, typewriter the first time he typed it. And so it's just like, oh, like, who are you, Quarrel? Hmm. I do kind <laughs> of like you, that. Ernest? I, I do like that, uh, that, that version of it, though, like I said, the fact that it was hard work at least makes me appreciate that he put yeah. hard work into it. I mean, later, like, like the way I've sort of like come back to it later is to think that like you had this idea of a thing you wanted to say, and you tried to say it, and then coming back, you're like, that's not how I meant it. Like that didn't come out. I had this idea for a way to say it that was very plain and simple and unaffected, and this one came out all fucked up. So let me try to fix it. Like that feels at least like sort of like more honest. The other way, it feels it feels so like manipulative. Like you're just like being having your chain yanked mm. yeah i suppose but like, maybe that's oh, just... if i change this word this particular word then it's going to affect you in just such a kind of way like oh that sounds too harsh if i soften this up then you'll be more willing to go along with the thought i'm trying to convince and like it's all sort of very like sociopathic just trying to manipulate the reader into coming to a certain way of reading it yeah as opposed to think... just like talking to a person yeah but i imagine that's like that's probably just part of storytelling like when when you realize like oh no wait this word doesn't convey what I'm trying to get across yeah. even though it was my first thought like no I need I need to do this differently if I'm if I'm gonna have it land this way and ha- hit this emotional yeah. beat the way I want it to I yeah that was that, like the big difference for me like if it feels like oh I said that poorly that's not how I meant it let me say that again like if, if that's sort of the vibe it's like okay I can get behind that but if it's like oh let me figure out exactly the right words to get you to like respond in exactly the way I'm hoping you will that's where it's like ah gross yeah. I, different strokes for different folks, I guess. For me, yeah. like because I'm dead inside, I get all my feelings from <laughs> consuming stuff, and so if if I have to be manipulated into having feelings while consuming media, whether it's TV, movies, or books or something, if if it's finely crafted in just a way so as to uh, 
deliberately evoke an emotion from me, I'm super okay with it. <laughs> um, where were we though? Uh, oh, um, so yeah, you mentioned we touched on the last chapter a little bit, but Dumbledore says straight up that like the change in Harry is that he grew up. That's what happened on the day of the mm-hmm. Phoenix. And he says, don't be too eager to grow up. There'll be time enough for that later. You're a first year at Hogwarts. And she's like, I'm 12. Harry's 11. And my take on that is just like, you know, you can't give me the not old enough bullshit excuse. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm older than he is. And then Dumbledore just throws back. He's like, Harry Potter is special, as you know, Miss Granger. For reasons I, know. I will not state. Yeah. And like, and again, because we know it's calculated and it has the, the side effect, or not side effect, but the the also thing of being totally true that he's special um but like being told that doesn't help and like that's like the worst thing to say but or yeah. it's exactly what you're supposed to say if you're trying to manipulate hermione so yeah because yeah. it's when basically I, saying that, he's special you're not yeah. and it's like oh fuck you old man <laughs> yeah um that that line uh about you know i'm 12 and he's 11 I mean, and there was i think um another thing referencing age uh in the chapter before but that i at first i my first thought was like oh hermione's the only one that thinks like realistically about her age like oh i'm 12 and doesn't try to be like a kind of all grandiose um and then it occurred to me like no that's not actually the like mcgonagall is also with you know saying like oh you guys shouldn't have to deal with this stuff at your age um but it did stick out to me as like being in contrast to her like the way hermione thinks about her age uh, is really different from kind of the well, especially like so arrogant Harry that thought he was like an eleven-year-old golden god um, was very unrealistic about his age, um, and this newer newer Harry is sort of like, yes, I'm being forced to deal with things that an eleven-year-old shouldn't be forced to deal with. Um, so that so that was the first thought I had, and then I was like, oh, wait a minute, and what does that mean? Because Harry is this, and I think I've said this whole time, like Harry does not at all read like an 11-year-old. He reads like a college sophomore, um, which didn't bother me at all. But I'm like, oh, wait a minute, he's really Voldemort. He's not an 11-year-old. I still don't know what it means. Like, is he just, like, is he Harry, and it's got like a little Voldemort living in his brain that takes over? Or is he, like, I don't know what's going on yet, yet there. Like maybe if like if he's if like if you see like a Horcrux something then he's kind of like both at the same time, or maybe there is no Harry. I don't know. Hmm. Um, but it did occur to me like oh that like this like Harry not at all acting like an eleven year old and not at all being willing to think of himself as an eleven year old fits with the well he's not Harry he's Voldemort and Voldemort doesn't think of himself as an eleven year old. And then that reminded me of Umbrella Academy, which you said you didn't like, but the, uh, I can't remember the name of the character, but one of the characters in Umbrella Academy is this kid who could travel through time and he like traveled forward in time and got stuck uh, and then lived out his like whole life into adulthood uh, and then was eventually able to like travel back in time to his original time, but only in his original kid body. So the whole character in Umbrella Academy is this like 12 year old kid with the personality of a grumpy old man. I um, think that was. In the and he first like drink scotch, I think. Yeah. So I do remember that kid. Yeah. yeah. It was it, it, like, and he sticks with that character. It's a funny character because he's like inappropriately like surly with people in a sixty-year-old man kind of way. <laughs> and um, he's like a try. I, I think I recall. He's like, and he's like this twelve-year-old that drinks scotch. I also like, do like how, I was like a meta note on the show that, you know, in the beginning there wasn't much theorizing because there wasn't much to theorize on, and then there was a lot of like probing me for things on your theorizing. And now, without even, there's been no off-air discussion about, like, how to do this. It's just how the show has evolved. 
you'll just theorize and then you like you won't wait for a reply which is great because <laughs> then i don't have to confirm or deny anything huh? am i right am in, i right so um i think i actually do a uh i fall into a lot like forgetting that like you know whether or not these theories are true so i'm probably not getting enough credit for like how a weird job it must be for you to like pretend do you like like sort of like try to mind fuck yourself into like forgetting what comes next or is it like um, this constant like little dance of having to be like oh shit don't react to that well, that's the thing is you, that's that's what I was commenting on is that you're giving me less space to not react to things, oh. <laughs> and so so that part's nice. Like for the most part, you'll notice I just don't do any theorizing, and all the times where yeah. I where I where I say things like I wonder if it's this or I think that, those are like either things that maybe don't get 100% settled or uh, things that maybe are open for interpretation, or in mm-hmm. many cases things that like I have forgotten the specifics on. And I'm just okay, totally wildly speculating on. So, mm-hmm. um, is it getting is it getting easier on your side now that like since more more of the book is now a known thing? Is it like less tap dancing you have to do, or am I just getting better at not like trying to wring facts out of you? I think it's a bit of both. Because mm-hmm. I it, the first part hadn't occurred to me until you said it, but there's definitely some of that. But like I, the thing that's brought to my mind is that you're not trying to wring facts out of me, and it hasn't been that way for that's a few true. weeks. So. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's good. I'm having a good time with it. Uh, yeah, like, I, I think it's been months since you said, aha, you paused there. That means I'm onto something. <laughs> uh, and, and and in those cases, more often than not, it's more just like, well, I can't say yes or no. Because like, if, if, if I really like the way a line of thinking is going that you're that you're speculating on, like, I don't want to shut it down and be like, actually, no, that's not it. Or mm-hmm. if you're right, I don't want to be like, aha, well done. You've nailed it. So like in both cases, I'm going to try and not say something obvious, right? I guess that's true. Like if you're if you're on completely the wrong track, I'm really enjoying it, and I want you to stay on the wrong track for as long as possible. <laughs> yes, because it turns out McGonagall is Voldemort. Yep, who's been Polydrew's Taggart this whole time? <laughs> you know who's been suspicious? It's Barty Crouch Junior. Dobby. Yes, Dobby is now. It's George R. Binks. <laughs> just total like it's, it's been George Pixel. Just time. The, the, that's like that's why the story is so popular. It's just like famously the worst ending ever because it's George mm-hmm. Binks. <laughs> That'd be hilarious. Yes. All right. And well, let's see. Too, if it weren't for you meddling kids. <laughs> I was gonna try and say it in Jar Jar's voice, but none of us would like that. So. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, this chapter ends basically with uh, Hermione saying, "Like, okay, I'll I'll think about it." And, or she says, I'll do what's right. And then she just looks to Professor McGonagall and she's like, I'd like to go now, please. Which I think is just like the, I, I, I can't put my finger on it exactly. It's just like the, the best way to be like, okay, you know what? I, I'm done. Can, can we go? And it's saying that like. That's it was like a very polite rage quit. Yeah, exactly. But she's rage quitting in front of, you know, Albus Gandalf yeah. Dumbledore and. Like, so she doesn't say it to him. She turns to Professor McGonagall, like kind of her, you know, her safe guardian angel. And it's like, mm-hmm. can we, can we go please? And I think it's perfect. <laughs> and then she goes off and, um, oh yeah. And this was kind of the, the thing too with McGonagall. She says, if I did want to be a hero too, if I've decided I want to be one, is there anything you can do to help? And she says, Miss Granger, I'm not sure the headmaster's wrong about that. You are 12. And she's like, okay. She, she doesn't say, well, fuck that. That's not fair. Whatever. She's just, Okay. Thanks. And, and not even uh, she's accepting it. She's just like, okay, well, that's arguing is going to accomplish anything. Exactly. 
and then she's thinking on her way down that Professor Quirrell or Professor Flitwick could probably say the same thing, and then Professor Quirrell would probably come up with something clever, but she had the feeling that asking him would be a bad idea, that the defense professor couldn't help anyone become the sort of hero that was worth becoming, and that he wouldn't even understand the difference. And that hits a lot on what you were talking about before, about yeah. him just like not being able to relate to that sort of thing whatsoever. Yeah. And Hermione sees right through that shit. You mentioned that, Assuming uh, you're like, right. If, if, if Flitwick was going to try to be the, the mysterious wizard mentor, it'd be pretty lame wizard mentor. Yeah. I mean, the grand heroic Flitwick. I mean, all that we know is that he is a badass fighter or something. I think that he was like a dueling yeah. champion, but it's yeah. like he's had so little screen time that it might as well mm. be Hagrid. Right. <laughs> that's true. He's got more than Hagrid at least. As far as teaching someone to be a We've had like no I mean there's been like literally no like Hagrid was in the room in like the very first in like the sorting hat ceremony. But I think other than that there's been like literally like he's been entirely off stage. Yeah, I don't think he's had any screen time since then. Yeah. Which you're right, and that it, is yeah, it's, it'd be one thing if he had very little. He has like none. Yeah, uh, but he, he's at he's at off screen time, so at least we know that he's yeah. in the story. Um, anyway, this chapter ends when she's almost to Ravenclaw Tower and she saw the flash of gold. Flash of gold. And this whole thing um, was weird. Like, I didn't get... It, it's all been very strange. So she gets... So that's like the lead-in and then... Um, right. Then the, that puts us into chapter 69. Nice. Nice. Um, <laughs> she, uh, like... So... so Although we, I, it's not so much later that we ever get told that like, oh, that was Fox, because it's just sort of like this light thing that she sees, and she's chasing. So I guess it's like Fox being this like will o' wisp, kind of like leading her to to something, and he so he leads her to. Um, it's all it's basically like a recreation of the of the other scene to, um, like what is it? Three uh, Slytherins are bullying a Hufflepuff because that's what Hufflepuffs do is they get bullied. Um, but like the whole thing seemed very weird. It actually gave me a strange vibe of the, uh, was it the, that weird dream sequence? Was that from the first Star Wars where Luke's on Dagobah and he has this like strange vision of, he's like all stoned and like he sees Darth Vader, but like oh I am Darth Vader. It was it just had this weird vibe to it of it like not being real. I I kept as I was reading it, I kept expecting to be like oh this is just some kind of weird hallucination she's having, and I kept like especially because like. And the the situation seems so like contrived and weird and like oh suddenly there's this very like archetypal, you know, incident of there's three Slytherins bullying a Hufflepuff have like created this ideal situation for you to start acting like a hero. Um, there's, I was I, and I kept like was still reading even when it was all done. I'm like wait was that did that really happen or was that like just some this like super symbolic dream sequence or something that she was going to wake up from. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, and it probably like part of it that it like started out with this that, that weird like okay follow the mysterious fox willowisp thing made it even more kind of feel like like this isn't reality that's happening yeah no and i totally get that vibe um it does read very much uh what is it the uh empire strikes back scene where was that way yeah, i couldn't uh, remember which one it was i i don't know why i remember which one that it's was like in the but... swamps of dagobah like running around and then he like goes into a little weird little cave thing and yeah yeah, exactly. But it it does it does feel like that because it's too convenient. But the reason I, I interrupted the laughing is because I was thinking, 
uh, that Dumbledore, you know, said all that stuff so that she'd go off and become a hero. And then I was just in my mind kind of pretending like, I wonder if he like teleported ahead of her and then egged these kids on to go bully that kid and then sent Fox to go guide her to him. No, he just dosed her with acid that he got from Snape before she left the office. And this has all just been like her vision quest. Yeah, totally. That works too. No, I think I think this is established to have actually happened. But what's I just thought it was funny that the I my my imagining of Dumbledore going off and like trying to get a kid bullied, like just in time to to point her money towards him, towards him immediately. But no, I guess it's just he's got, he's got a time turner. He could he could pull that shit off. I didn't even think about the time turner. Yeah, he totally could have made this happen. Just doesn't seem yeah, like Dumbledore style. But yeah, I hope, yeah. I hope not. But yeah, yeah, it was, I mean, because we're like, even though I don't know if maybe it was just like how I was picturing it, but it even seemed like she's running down random hallways that are sort of like featureless and weird. And she's getting, and, and it's still sort of like called back to the whole like, oh, hallways move around and you don't know where you're going. So it's just like, she's wandering through this like dreamlike maze of hallways. And then I don't, I'm terrible at remembering descriptions, but my like picture of it was that they just end up walking into this like, featureless empty hallway that's got nothing but these like three stereotypical cobra kai goons beating up on innocent little hufflepuff like the whole thing is so like perfect um that i'm like oh this has to be like a dream um yeah i see what you're saying um i don't think it was a dream and i don't yeah i guess not yeah we got far enough unless like more comes along later but yeah because then it was like all described and yeah because and there's just people talking about it as a thing that really happened so yeah it was just strange um, i feel you though it, it yeah. does have that sort of vibe yeah. um it was a very cool but then she like goes all super like neo in the matrix badass on them and takes out three um like what are they like fourth year fifth year slytherins just because she's badass right i think she hits two of them immediately yeah, and she's and... all bullet time and dodges the next one and... right and then like and now she had just spent a whole hour thinking about the other spells she could have cast on Harry and Neville. Mm-hmm. And then he jellifies her legs. And then she, um, I think Glaceo like turns the floor underneath them super slippery or something. Yeah, yeah. And then he falls and drops his wand because he's a fucking chump. And then, <laughs> then she knocks him out. And then she crawls over to the Hufflepuff boy and wakes him up. Or, you know, no, he was already awake, but he'd been dropped. Um, and uh, it's just this kind of, and he's like oh general sunshine and she's like yeah that's me and um <laughs> he had this thinking of like i can't she, he's like i can't believe you just did that and she's like i can't believe i just did that and <laughs> i like she's very like she's very hermione in the way she's just like being a hero it's all it's not like this you know she doesn't go into like superhero voice and say like you know she doesn't have a catchphrase or anything she just acts very like hermione oh she needs a catchphrase it's like so in bad the... <laughs> Oh my God! The perfect catchphrase for this is Jinkies. Do your, do your homework. Because <laughs> if they if they'd been better students, they they wouldn't have been so easily that's taken right. out by. Uh, first yeah, that's year. right. And that that was the line you pulled. Actually, I'm glad you pulled it because it also got what I thought was just a cool line. Um, and students who'd had years of being taught by the worst professors ever to go professing. Right. That's a nice line. But yeah, but like her takeaway from that is like, oh, the fact that we've been actually like studying and working and practicing at battle means that I'm way better at this than these asshats. Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, first of all, the, the taught by the worst professors ever to go professing is really funny. <laughs> but then like the examples professors of all profess. the stuff that like sounds like the kind of thing that just like the evil Professor Quirrell would say, but like turned out to all be accurate in a mm-hmm. real world combat situation. And like, just the basic, like, being able to hit things that you aim at, 
being able to think well enough in a fight to think that you ought to innervate your fallen allies, um, you know, ambush, uh, ambushes settling an attack very quickly, like all that stuff. But um, like you said, the, the huge gap between students who have signed up for extracurricular activities and all the ones who, A, hadn't yeah. done that, and B, had been taught by assets who didn't know what they were doing. So there's a joke in there where, like, the guy that she saved is named Mike, and he says, uh, oh, I'm Michael, whatever his name is, um, Michael, I'm lost Hopkins. on it. That's not, oh, Somebody. Hopkins, there it is. Hopkins. Um, he says, or just Mike inside of Hufflepuff. There aren't any other Mikes in all of Hufflepuff this year. Would you believe it? I have a vague recollection that that was, like, a joke to something it might have been. Yeah, I'm like, oh, it's got to be something. And I think it was like either there were a lot of Mikes or Mikes and Michaels in the canon version, or maybe there weren't any in Hufflepuff. I can't remember what it was, but it was something like that. Nothing like deep or something. It was just some canon reference mm-hmm. that I meant to ask somebody to fill me in on today and forgot to. So someone will, will ping me in Discord if you want. Yes. Um, then she so says. So she has that mention. Go ahead. No, no, please. Um, well, it's just, so then she's like looking through these, you know, three unconscious uh, Slytherins on the floor. And she's, she's like, oh, and Jesus, they're like fourth or fifth years. Um, and so she sort of like has her own little mental calculus of, oh, this could like really come back on me because um, they did see me. They know who I am and they're going to come back, you know, to get revenge. Um, but she just sort of decides, OK, yeah, maybe that will happen, but I'm not going to like try to, you know, weasel out of it or anything so she's just sort of like kind of maturely accepting the consequences of her actions and just deciding not to be afraid of it and i just put a little emoji of avengers symbols in the notes that was like one of the first things i did when i started this company because i can add emojis to our slack so i added a bunch of avengers ones and then like (laughs) then of course you know 10 or 20 others but um yeah so i grabbed that little screenshot and threw that in there because yeah she's going to be a goddamn hero about it and if you put the sorting out on her head at that moment, it wouldn't have waited even one second before calling out Gryffindor. I know it's fun. and then like in the coming scenes too, that like she's very. It's, I don't know what to make of this. Like even this, the whole hero thing, um, because it's like on the one hand, like the, it's this, like I'm not going to be a prop in the life of Harry Potter. Um, but on the other hand, that like she's like flipped into this like very kind of surreal almost sort of like childish way of looking at the world like like at least my like there's not heroes and bad guys in the real world um and that it is that sort of like very kind of dumbledoreish way of looking at things like like we all have these like convenient little roles to play and it's all just going to work out like a story and so it's almost like she's like dumbing herself down to just to, to go into this like oh i'm going to be a hero thing but I'm not, I mean, it's, I don't think that's like, I'm not, I'm not sure what to make of it. Or, and I don't know if it's so much dumbing yourself down. I know there's just kind of this nagging thing. Like this isn't the like smart, sensible, hyper-competent Hermione. It's this sort of like more childish kind of, I want to be a superhero kind of thing. And I'm, I'm not sure, I don't, I don't know what to make of it. And it sort of like ties in a little bit that like the whole thing sort of felt like a dream. Um, and it seems like it's not going to be... So I'm kind of ambivalent about the whole thing, but like, and then what this ends in a little bit with her, like deciding that she tries to, um, just Daphne Greengrass, if she also wants to be a hero, like that part played really cool. I'm like, I like that. So I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm puzzled. Well, it's also a very Hermione thing to do. And we'll, we'll get to that towards the end. But, uh, when she decides to be a hero, 
she goes immediately to start recruiting friends to be heroes with her yeah. rather than just doing it by herself like Harry decided to. Yeah. It didn't even and the actions, like, and what she did in that moment of <clears throat> saving the Hufflepuff, um, Mike, <clears throat> was very Hermione. Like, the, just the actions in that moment were very, like, a, like hyper-competent, um, but also, like, like, not at all needing to hesitate to think, like, oh, you, you help somebody when they're in trouble. Um, but it was more like all the meta she's telling herself about it, like, and this means I'm a, like, capital H hero. Um, the parts, I'm not sure yet what the, how to feel about that. Well, to quote Professor McGonagall, she is 12. Mm. Yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess that's true. So, I mean, it could be deliberately a little childish. Yeah. Um, and, but even, like, in, in a second, like, we get this, like, Harry basically, like, try, she tells Harry that, like, okay, I'm going to, I want to be a hero, too. And Harry's like, being a hero sucks, don't do it. Um, and she's like, no, nah, I'm going to do it anyway. And Harry, <clears throat> when Harry sort of, like, realizes, like, okay, I'm not going to be able to talk her out of this, he's suddenly really happy that he's, like, got a friend in the same mess as him. And so he's sort of, like, it's not like he thinks it's any better of an idea, but it's at least like, okay, you know, at least I've got Hermione with me. And that whole, like, vibe seemed really nice. I like that a lot. So it's all, it's straight. But there's still, like, this, the way she's talking to herself about being a hero just doesn't seem, just doesn't fit. I think I... I see what you're saying a bit because like she, she's she wasn't treating her life like a story a minute ago and like taking it this way is almost explicitly like yep storybook stuff mm-hmm. um, you know it maybe it's partly just because you know Dumbledore kept putting the word hero in her head or something yeah um, it's it's interesting because well let's take it in order so like she gets down and I like how she's still smiling so Harry looks extremely nervous because like <laughs> that's that's Hermione's evil glare and in this case though it's an actual smile and she says, I've got a question for you, Mr. Potter. How do, how do you think people fail to become themselves? And, and then he's just like flabbergasted. He's like, what? And she's like, no, pretend there isn't all this stuff going on. Just say whatever you, whatever you would have said yesterday. <laughs> um, his, he gives his answer. And then uh, I just like how he's just like the whole like, uh, looking very confused and ver- very worried. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he pulled out his answer... I didn't actually, oh, yeah. it was a thing he said, sort of like, it wasn't actually his answer, it was like a comment on the side, but what he said is, it's not like I'm an imperfect copy of someone else. I kind of is. Oh, if you're, anyway. if you're. Uh, uh, that was even, like, if you like become it, well, like his thing was like, oh, becoming like who you're meant to be or whatever. Um, and he's like, well, I'm not, it's not like there's this person I'm meant to be that I am like an imperfect copy of. But the phrasing was, I'm an imperfect copy of someone else, which is, it's not like I'm an imperfect copy of Voldemort. <laughs> I love that. I was so I, I wanted to pull out the the question though because I think these would be just kind of fun to toss around and like because I I haven't given this a lot of thought probably more than you because I just sprung it on you as I wrote the notes down today but like I um, well unless you thought about this before I was just thinking because I was listening to these last week like uh, the if someone asked you hey how do you think uh, or what, how did you phrase it how do you think people fail to become themselves like if your daughter asked you that tomorrow. You know, how, how would you answer that question? I guess like the first one was like, well, well, what the, I mean, if it was my daughter, I probably wouldn't phrase it like this, but I'm like, well, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> um, and I get like, and that's sort of like kind of is, and then the longer answer is kind of just a longer version of that. Whereas like, there's just, and again, like we're like putting, trying to wrap a story around your own life. Like there is no become yourself, like, or if there is, you, you won't ever know. 
Um, so it's not, I guess, because I, what I really don't believe is that, like, we all have this grand destiny to, like, be a particular thing or, you know, there's some great potential that you're supposed to meet. Not that, like, not that, you know, people can't do amazing great things, but, like, nothing is meant to be anything. Um, like, great things happen, but not because they were meant to be that way or that other great things could have happened. Um, and even if they could, like, how the fuck would you know? Like, even if there is some, like, myself that I'm supposed to be, I am probably way more likely to have some, like, fucked up self-serving idea of what that is than an actually, like, correct one. Um, and it just seems like, like, we set ourselves up for all sorts of trouble when we put these, like, weird expectations on things and then chase trying to meet them instead of just sort of, like, meeting reality where it is and seeing where you can go from there. I think that's a really good answer. No, I, I think, uh, like, certainly... It's um, it's possible for someone to look back and say, this isn't who I wanted to be or something. But that's not saying who you were supposed to, or I guess fail to become themselves. That's the question. So like, you know, if you looked back and you're like, man, this isn't who I meant to be or something. Um, it, But I, 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 I like what you're saying in that, you know what, rather than trying to answer this question, I think it's an ill-formed question. There, you aren't meant to be anybody. You're, you're you yeah. and you be the best you you can be. Um it's uh, and that's kind of close-ish to Harry's answer at the very least. Um, I mean, if I had to pick one of the five given in the story, but no, I think that's its own thing, and I like that one a lot. My my answer was basically a different version of Harry's in that um, it sounds much less cool after yours, but like, <laughs> uh, like Harry Harry's answer is that um, he says. Uh, if I was trying to run up the sense of the question, I'd say we don't become people don't become themselves because we absorb all this crazy stuff from the environment and then regurgitate it. And he gives examples like, you know, would people invent a game like Quidditch if they thought to make a game like the make a <laughs> game themselves or something like that? Yeah. And uh, I don't know. For me, I think if I if if I were to be if someone asked me how would you how do people fail to become themselves, I would probably say something along the lines of it's because they try to become other people instead. Um, yeah, and that's some like yeah. I think that's sort of like in line with what you, me, and Harry are saying. That at least like, like yourself is not you, or you know, failing to become yourself is to like try to insert outside influence. Whether that's like, for like my point of view is sort of like, oh, you're trying to just like make you know, take some somebody else's story and make it fit your life, or Harry saying like just regurgitate other people's ideas or you know attempts and. Um, yeah, yeah. there's like somebody somebody else's idea of what you're supposed to be. Yeah, but when I say it out loud, it sounds a lot more like a, you know, pretended wisdom kind of thought rather than like an actual <laughs> thought. So um, I like well, I, guess, I mean, like part of it, like you just sort of like, like you're not going, like nobody's going to have any like grand answer to anything. So you just like start with like whatever's in front of you and like start piling them up <laughs> and then you come to something larger. But I don't know. Well, speaking of something larger than... Uh, what makes someone a hero? Because, you know, Hermione's taking it in somewhat the storybook sense. Like, heroes are people who hunt down and stop bad guys and, you know, make stop bad things from happening and, I guess, maybe make good things happen. Um, like, Well, you answer first. What do you think, like, what makes a hero? You know, this one's tough because, and, you know, uh, for those of, for those listeners listening to this in the distant future, hopefully we're not still in lockdown in 2025. Um, <laughs> but we're, we're living through an age now where... No, the, uh, me- the meteor killed everybody. You're right. Uh, where where the word hero is thrown thrown around for everybody in a position, and don't don't 
stop listening or don't stop listening. I'm going to caveat this and explain where I'm coming from. But the word hero is being thrown around for everybody in an essential service position, whether it's delivery or uh, or uh, supply chain staff or medical staff. And everyone's like, thank our heroes in, uh, you know, in the hospitals doing this and that. That's and, the John Mulaney theory. The hero is somebody doing their job. Right. Um, well, no, no, no. I mean, so in... What, the reason I bring that up is because I, I don't like that phrasing in this particular context, not because I don't think they're heroes. I think they are. I think my wife's a hero for what she does because I could never do it. But uh, I, what I don't, the, the part of it I don't like is that I think that there's the expectation, you know, like when, uh, when aliens invade New York, it's the Avengers' job to run in there and almost die to stop it because they're heroes. Like, mm-hmm. th- so that, that's what people expect of them. And yet the people who are, you know, nervously trying to not die going to work over the last four months um, to, to just say, thank you, heroes. I feel like that's so shallow because like it, make, it, it you can paint it with that same sort of thing like, oh, it's your job to do this. And mm-hmm. uh, like, yes, but they didn't sign up for exactly this. You know, like there were, there were students uh, during all this shit that were graduated <coughs> early and shoved straight into hospitals uh, for meds mm-hmm. for med schools. And like they didn't sign up to go, you know, wear a garbage bag to work so they because they didn't have PPE and uh, deal with all this bullshit. So like in the reason I brought up the the medical people isn't because I don't think they're heroes. It's because I don't think that the I, 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 I dislike the sentiment that can come off shallowly of thank you, heroes, for your service. Basically, the ones you see on signs and, you know, from corporations mm-hmm. and stuff like because then it makes it sound like all the work is done, like of what we should be doing to help people. And it's like, oh yes, well, thank you, heroes. You, you guys, you guys uh, tank all the bullets for us, and we'll just uh, we'll hang back. Um, <laughs> tank all the bullets. <laughs> so, like, I, I, I think, um, but that's more of my gripe about the current popularity of the use of the word hero. Like, if I had to pick a definition. It would be, um, and I hope I explained that well. I meant it to come off yeah, extremely yeah. well towards uh, everyone doing all those jobs because it's supposed to because they're all fucking badasses. And but I, like I said, I I I I shudder when I see when the, those billboards of you know thank you our heroes and that sort of stuff because I don't mm-hmm. feel like it's doing a good enough job. If I've caveated this enough to the point <laughs> where you're, where you're done being offended, then I'll stop. If you're, you're still offended, go back and listen to my two minutes of caveats. Um, so to run with the sense of the question. So, you know, I had the unfortunate, uh, in the sense of answering this question, upbringing of, you know, enjoying comic book sh- TV shows and stuff and, and superhero movies. And so that paints my, my vision of, like, what a hero is probably too high. Um, I mean, I think if I, to put it somewhat succinctly after my five-minute rambling, I think a hero would be somebody who puts themselves after somebody else in a way that could cost them severely. Um, you know, you could be... Uh, it, I mean, so the obvious example is like running to a building to save a bunch of orphans that, you know, burning building. Um, but I, it doesn't even have to necessarily be physical risk. You know, you can put yourself at financial risk to help somebody. And that is still a risk. It sounds less heroic, but financial security is uh, if you don't have it, you know exactly why it would suck to, to not have it. Um, and if you do have it, then it's the kind of thing that if you just had to imagine a world imagine your own future where you have to check your bank account before you can fill your gas tank or buy groceries. You know, so if you're going to risk that for something, that also sounds heroic. So Mm -hmm. somewhere in there, deliberate self-sacrifice or at least deliberate risk of self-sacrifice makes somebody a hero. I can see that. I guess, I mean, 
I sort of have the same reaction. No, I like that. Um, yeah, just like, and the, and I guess maybe that's part of, like, one of the big things, like selflessness, um, which sort of is a, a very compact thought on its own, or because we just think of it as being like the opposite of selfish, but like where you just selfless in truly in the sense where you stop thinking about yourself as the primary, you know, motivation for any kind of decision you make, where you really do like put the needs of everyone else um, ahead. And that that's sort of like, like falling from that then like turns into all these other behaviors that, um, that are admirable. Um, as long as it's not like, you know, wankily, like murdery. Um, but I mean, I get, but I think, so there's that, but I think the idea of, you know, this I'm like totally cribbing from, uh, the Watchmen, but the, I think the idea of heroes is unhealthy. Um, and I think we, I think we even get a little bit of that here in, in Harry Potter, like, like Harry being, you know, thrown into this role of, you know, guardian of humanity, um, isn't good for anybody. And kind of like the big, um, like the big kind of underlying message in Watchmen is like how infantilized and lame the world became um, when everybody's just sitting around waiting for a superhero to fix all their problems. Um, and there's like that part of it, but there's also like just like how fucked up you can make things by like if you sort of like set this end goal of hero for anybody, either for yourself or expecting somebody else to be a hero. Um, it's so like divorced from reality that it's like causes all kinds of trouble to sort of chase it as an expectation. Um, on the other hand, we have this idea of hero because they, you know, they, it is a story um, that, and that story is meaningful to us. And like, and we keep repeating that story over and over again because it's meaningful to us. And so I guess that's more like, so it's not like, what would I want to do? Like, how would I become a hero or what would I want from my heroes because I think like trying to like apply that as like this like primary motivation to how I'm going to take like this next action uh, can cause all kinds of trouble. But in terms like just looking at it and like, why do we like here? What is it about heroes that we like? And then I'm thinking because, you know, I think I'm as much of a comic book guy as you are. Um, I think more but, so because you have real comic books. I guess. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. They're right in the other room. Um, but, but think about like, I don't, my attitude towards comic books aren't very like hero oriented. It's sort of like, it's like, you're all like, almost all comics are like involved with heroes, but it's not like that idea of like, oh, we need like, and may, I don't know if like some people that are very like heroish, like get into all like the Captain America kind of heroes, but like, that's not what I'm into. And, and I don't even like even read the heroes so much as uh, like, even so much to be emulated or like, you know, gosh, I wish there was somebody like that that could like my main, like my, my spirit animal, as I say, is Wolverine. Um, and he's certainly not any kind of like, you know, if it's, oh my God, New York's being invaded by aliens, where's Wolverine to save us? Like he's not, <laughs> Wolverine's not going to, not going to do much, but so I get like, I, like hero, like at what place do heroes have in our lives as like, what do heroes mean to us as opposed to like, oh, how can I be a hero? Um, is I think more about like sort of emulating things that you would want for yourself or, or like just in general, like heroes are people that sort of like model something, not as a like whole 
thing, but there's like some thing about that hero that is a thing we wish for ourselves or wish for other people around us. And like, so like Wolverine's like this super like on the nose um, metaphor of like Wolverine uh, is not impervious to pain. Like Superman, you shoot Superman and it just bounces off of him and he's like, oh, fuck you. Um, you shoot Wolverine, he's like, oh, fuck that hurt. I'm like, that's my favorite line is Wolverine's um, is getting, he gets tossed out of an airplane. I think, I want to say it's like over Tokyo or something. And he's falling, he has no parachute, he is falling from an airplane. Uh, and he's like, oh, this is going to hurt. Um, but he's, and like the on the nose metaphor is Wolverine's not afraid. He knows it's going to hurt and it's not, and it doesn't hurt him any less. But, the and so like that thing like the the thing from Wolverine that I want to emulate in myself is um, Wolverine's not brave because he doesn't think it's gonna hurt he just knows he's gonna be okay when it's over um, and that's like the grand you know metaphor of Wolverine and I, like and then you saw that little sweatshirt that I had the other day it's they call it the fastball special uh, in the X Men it's when uh, Colossus the big strong metal dude. Um, if, if Wolverine, if there's, and they, I think they would often do it against those like giant sentinel robots. Um, uh, Wolverine curls, curls himself up into a little ball. Cause what we lose sight of a lot is that Wolverine's actually this like little tiny dude. Um, and, uh, not tiny, but he's a short guy. Um, and Colossus just hucks him like, you know, a thousand feet away. Um, and that's just sort of like, and so like the picture on my, my shirt is just like, uh, Wolverine just like flying through the air and, uh, and Colossus is just throwing him like he's a fastball. Um, and that's just sort of this like fearless, like Wolverine, like there's something over there I need to fuck up and I need to go over there to fuck it up. Can you throw me? And it's this kind of like, and I have no idea how this is going to work out, but I'm fucking Wolverine. It's going to be okay. Um, Cause yeah, I might like, you know, get impaled on something, but fuck it. I'll be fine. Um, and that's sort of like, so I think like that's sort of like my, my, that's my hero thing from Wolverine. Cause it's like that thing that I would like to emulate in me. And I think, and that's sort of like the role heroes play for us is like giving us a goal, I guess. Um, which, so they're, I think like, so they're really valuable as stories. Um, they're not valuable as goals, <laughs> I think. Um, because that, like, then if I'm like, oh, I'm going to be Wolverine, I'm going to, I mean, fuck, I don't even know what that means, but like all this kind of weird expectations you can start to set up and trying to like, kind of like shoehorn reality into fitting what you think that ought to be um, or weird, you know, roles you feel like you're supposed to take on in order to be that. That's when things get kind of all fucked up and unconstructive. Um, so Nice. Mm-hmm. No, I like that a lot. And I would elaborate on all the points I liked, but I, I'm not realizing we should have saved this till the end just because uh, we still got a bit of chapter left and it's going to feel jarring jumping back into it. But Actually, awesome. not a lot happens in between. No, but I, I did think oh, of a yeah. good way because I kind of just remembered my audience and the way that I was <laughs> trying to caveat the word hero a hundred times. Everyone will understand who's read Ward will understand exactly what I mean because I'm talking about the people, like when I see those billboards of like, you know, thank you our heroes, I'm picturing Caden from the last arc of Ward who's written to be like the most unlikable little shit in the whole, in like the whole uh, two books. So like all four million words of it in a story that contains psychopathic murderers and torturers and, and monsters. He's like this little like 13 year old little shit ball and all the heroes are going to die. And he's like, well, so what? That's their job. And <laughs> it was, uh, and the, the scene is this, this other person just arguing with him about like, no, it's not They're fucking people. 
and this it's it's not enough to just say that they're heroes and it's their, it's their job to lay down their lives like this. Fuck you. And so yeah. if if anyone was still the least bit uh, in the dark about what I meant, I was talking to people who are saying thank you, our heroes, just like Caden was not saying thank you, but Caden in, in Ward was, I think that was the kid's name, I'm pretty sure, um, that he was uh, saying, oh, it's their job to do it. Like, no, fuck you, kid. Anyway, yeah. that was a lot of fun. And, yeah. and, yeah. and you know, and I think that's sort of like, kind of similar to what Harry is going through and that like, so Quirrell is his hero and Quirrell thoroughly does not deserve to be his hero. And he kind of embodies this, I, this like misguided ideal Harry had of like, Oh, what, what would I really like to be? I would really like to be better than everybody else. Um, and how super attractive that was to Harry and how much he really, really wants to be this like facade that, that Quirrell's putting on. Um, and I think like what we're seeing is like Harry, like very slowly kind of like disentangling himself from that and sort of like then try to figure out on his own what he's going to be as he's like starting to figure out like, Oh, this super enticing idea is actually not that cool. Um, and so he's sort of like, like reevaluate like who are my heroes? It has been quite put that way. And I know it kind of has like, he's like, like realizing that this person that he's been idolizing is like a nut job um, and kind of like having to rethink. And so this like newer kind of more empathetic and humble Harry is like who he's sort of like crafting for himself now that like Quirrell as a model for how to be isn't working. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, (laughs) I, Last thing on the the hero business before we move on. I when you mentioned that like in a world with heroes like in Watchmen, uh, people mm-hmm. get complacent and like oh the heroes will be here, um, which leads to that famous line of who will look down on them and say no. Um, mm-hmm. It this isn't a spoiler at all for uh, Metropolitan Man, but it's a moment that occurs in it that I think will be we got to read that at some point. It's the mm-hmm. thirteen chapter I think. Um, so the chapters are kind of like the longer versions of these chapters, or you know the whatever it's it's 13 long chapters but it's not a it's not a huge undertaking in mm-hmm. any case there's a scene i think where they're describing like the world changes with superman you know on planet and like things things happen and people just like oh superman will be here it's no big deal and like at some point they talk about like a cruise ship that is crash you know sinking or something and like there are literally people like just cannonballing off the side and having fun because superman will be there soon to save them <laughs> and i was like that's exactly what would happen yes. um so then Harry says, well, why do you, so now back to the story. Um, thank you for indulging us in our, well, you guys didn't have a choice. You guys are hostages. Thank, <laughs> thanks for being willing hostages in our uh, uh, superhero like a, like, digression. Like forward. Yeah, they didn't know how far, we're, though. We're not, we're not the boss of them. <laughs> they could have left at any time, but you guys are still <laughs> here, and you guys get the rest of the episode. Um, so Harry says, why do you ask? And she's like, oh, uh, I just stunned three older Slytherins and rescued Hufflepuff. I'm going to be a hero. And then Harry's choking, and he's like, wait, what? And she tells the story, leaving out the fox bit, because that felt like a private thing between the two of them. Mm-hmm. And he says, she says, I'm sorry how I acted earlier. I should have remembered that if I'm still beating the pants off you in charms, then it's okay for you to beat, be, do, better me, do better than me in defense. <laughs> and I like Harry's thing here, because in this is two adults in grim face. He says, please don't take this the wrong way. But are you sure this is who you are? And not, to put it bluntly, me? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, are you sure you're not just like trying to act like me? And she says, nope, I'm quite certain. Why? My name practically spells out heroin, except for the extra M. <laughs> I never noticed that until today. <laughs> <laughs> she never noticed. 
And uh, do you know if you change the order of the letters of my name, it spells brain? Just you know, as someone who that, that just can't have just occurred me. to you. No, it did not. Oh, okay, I was going to say because I, I mistype Brian and brain every brain other time I type either of those smokes words. Smokes too much. Yeah, and and Santa smokes too much. Is the word Satan inside Satan. out? Yes. Yeah. Um. So then uh, Harry tries to talk her out of it, and we talked a little bit about that already. And then he just like. So she says, that doesn't stop you. It doesn't even stop you a little bit. I bet you never even considered not being a hero because of that. So why do you think it would stop me? There was a pause. And a sudden huge smile lit his face. And a smile as bright and boyish as the frown had been grim and adult. And everything was right again between them. Yeah, I really, that's why I like, it's so, I'm like conflicted about the whole thing. Because I really like that scene. um, And like that interaction uh, between them. But there's just something, it's, there's something very un-Hermione about, kind of the the rose colored glasses way she's looking at being a hero because I like I can see this like there would have, there's a, like a very Hermione way to do it which would be very sort of like unselfconscious about what it means but just like doing the heroic things without labeling it um, so yeah I'm, I'm not, I don't know what to think of it I see what you're saying I think like uh, part of me thinks it's still like that just the word hero kept being thrown in her face when she's talking to Dumbledore yeah. but the other part, too, is like this is her first attempt at trying to self-actualize and that if, you know, this is a misstep in trying to go too much of like a storybook hero, then yeah. it's an understandable mistake for your first time when you're 12. But <laughs> yeah, I, I, do, I do see what you're saying. This is a different tone of Hermione yeah. than we've seen before. And it's it's uh, drastically so. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and like in, in other ways, though, it's like mixed in with these things that are re- really awesome. So I'm not sure what to make of it. We'll see what happens. Um, speaking of seeing what happens, we get to see what happens right after in uh, Professor Dumbledore's office. And Minerva's laying down what's going on. And um, she's like, Miss Granger didn't even blink when Professor Fl- Flitwick threatened to have her transferred to Gryffindor and said that she'd just take all the books with her. And she said she's decided to be a hero and she's not taking no for an answer. I doubt you could have pushed, pushed her any... Put, excuse me. I doubt you could have pushed her into this any harder if you had tried to. And then... She Wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> Albus. And he says, my dear, after you've dealt with your 30th hero or so, you'll realize <laughs> that they react quite predictably to certain things, such as being told that they're too young or that they're not destined to be heroes or that being a hero is unpleasant. And if you truly wish to be sure, you should tell them all three. <laughs> Although it does does do to not do, be too blatant or your deputy headmistress might catch you. <laughs> <laughs> And then he kind of says, like, in the, in the distant, sad, Dumbledore way, he, she would have come to that place in due time. If someone is meant to be a hero, they will not listen to our warnings, Minerva, no matter how hard we try. Um, and then he switches beats, which does put a little bit more of the uh, um, possibility on the drug trip interpretation, although we didn't see her except the lemon <laughs> drop from him. But he just, like, you know, uh, what do you call right, it? That's right, the magic uh, drops. What's that? sleight of hand magics uh tin of of lemon drops out and he's like lemon drop mm-hmm. just like to change the subject <laughs> <laughs> yeah this whole um when i put the notes i i think of like everything going on in the story right now dumbledore is the, the thing that's got me like most confused slash stumped um like i don't know what, it so i'm like totally i'm all in on the fox is the infallible arbiter of who's good and bad um so i am on board with dumbledore as a good guy um but now i don't know like what to make of like what is 
what are his motivations underneath? What is the, all of his almost like sort of sinister, super powerful vibe that he gave off inside Azkaban? Um, what is he the dude that like set fire to Narcissa Malfoy? Um, yeah, like, so I don't know what to, I don't know what to make of him. Yeah, what the hell is he? What, you know, does he even know what the hell he's guy. doing? I know, yeah, yeah. But he's it's just, like so, and he's not like this doddering, like you know, idiot that thinks you know life is all a story. Um, and he also like like he also like sees these like very kind of life is gray kind of like when he talks to Harry about like we can't just burn down Azkaban. Um, you know, we have to. There's ugly realities we have to fix. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what the hell's going on with. Dumbledore is a jumble of contradictions. I think you'd probably appreciate the compliment. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when he's saying some people are destined to be heroes and should have done that in due time, like, maybe another way to look at it is, like, some people are going to go get jobs at the Ministry of Magic and push pencils for the rest of their life, and others are going to try and change the world or save the world or something, right? And Hermione's definitely in the latter category. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Then we get after aftermath, and it's in the Slytherin dungeons, and I I love this. This is just like the mm-hmm. most like, I don't know. It's I think the that Yudkowsky has this nice way of like having these heavy things and then like semi serious things, and then the the comedic beats I think are are put in at like the right volume and at the right places that they really work. Mm-hmm. Like this is a great place to end the chapter, and it's just perfectly. Uh, th- this plays exactly like, uh, you know. Oh yeah, there's kids in school, and they're going to be kids in school, and it's Daphne Greengrass's point of view, and she is like, okay, well, I was, I was expecting to be, made, be, to be made fun of for, uh, you know, having a crush on Neville, but she had to call out when she was fighting him, Greengrass of Sunshine, and then it got <laughs> and I remember it like that, like registered a little bit when it first. Came. I'm like, oh, that's and actually not not thinking about it too much. I'm like, oh, that actually sounds kind of cool, and then yeah, I'm like, oh yeah, that would be kind of dorky sounding. Green grass of sunshine and blue skies. <laughs> and then she, currently she's being referred to as sparkly unicorn princess of the noble and most ancient house of sparkly poo. <laughs> and a sixth year had cursed her with a sparkling jinx, which you got to wonder what the hell the point of that is mm-hmm. supposed to be, unless it's supposed to, most, most, supposed to make people sparkle like the twilight vampires. So she's sitting there sparkling and being pissy about it um, because everyone's teasing her for the wrong part of what she wanted to be teased mm-hmm. about. And, when I say being pissy, it makes it sound unearned. Uh, it's she, She's very right to be annoyed by this. But then... Um, <laughs> How dare you insult the honor of the sparkly unicorn princess? Let's see what you've got. And then she falls flat on the sofa and little things like that. <laughs> Someone knocks on the door and then Daphne looks up because she recognizes it as a sunshine That's code the signal. Yeah. And then, I hate someone knocking, Bella Mr. Goyle. Height. Knocking of the door. Let's see what you've got, door. <laughs> <laughs> Nevy. Nevy. Uh, yeah, so it's Hermione that walks in. And and I think so it was like, like coincidence of timing. Like somebody, just as Hermione's walking in, somebody runs in, not as a reaction to Hermione walking in, but is uh, like, oh, did you hear what happened? And so that's us like, like seeing that the rumor mill around Hermione beat up a bunch of bullies is spreading. Oh yeah, that's the confirmation in this chapter that this wasn't a dream. Yeah, no, I think even I think even by the time like she's having that conversation with Harry about it, I'm like, okay, I guess that really happened. It just seemed weird. 
it seems it did seem very surreal. Yeah. And I just noticed too that uh, Derek was the same guy that Harry schools on his first day of school too. Peregrine Derek was the fifth year bully or something. Uh, oh, the same guy from the when he saved Neville from the bullies. Yeah, I think he would learn. Well, yeah, let me. I mean. If if uh, if Draco beats him up in a in a fight, then it's a three beat. And he gets beat well <laughs> the first two generals. <laughs> Cobra Kai never learn. And then uh, Hermione just comes in and in a very Hermione way. Well, I decided it's not fair if mysterious old wizards get some people a chance to be heroes, and not others. So, and I've also read history books, and there aren't nearly enough girl girl heroes in them. So I thought I'd just drop by and see if you wanted to be a hero. Or see, so she it's like this run-on sentence. So I thought I'd just drop by and see if you wanted to be a hero. And why are you glowing like that? <laughs> uh, he makes good use of run-on sentences. Yeah, it, and they they work really well in the audiobook uh, too. Uh, another plug for the audiobook, which every listener of this podcast is aware of, exists because um, it airs in the same feed. And uh, in the notes, if you guys, if you know, you've missed the memo. Um, in the show notes for every episode, I link to an RSS feed that a listener on the original Discord for this, from my other podcast, put together. Uh, Koi put together an RSS feed that I think he just finds the uh, like the show notes the minute that they air, and then he'll add them to the next uh, episodes of the RSS feed, and then it pairs these episodes with the following uh, audiobook episodes. So you don't have to scroll back through the hundred and change to find the right ones. It's convenient. Super convenient. Oh, and then the chapter ends with uh, Tracy Davis jumping up and saying, I'll take a chance to be a hero. And um, <laughs> and thus was born the Society for the Promotion of Heroic Equality for Witches. I think it was about witches instead of like women. Which would uh, and it's spew instead of spew. Which I like because like, A, it's like a much better idea because in like the originals with the, what was it? Society for the Promotion of elf, Elvish Welfare. Elvish Welfare or something. Like it was always like, it was like a joke. Um, and so I like that we're sort of like turning that, like we're getting rid of the dumb idea. Um, cause it wasn't, it was even because like the house elves in the original one are such like a caricature thing. So like, you know, being on the side of the rights of elves, like can't be taken seriously because of how elves are in the story. So I like that this got turned into something that's like more meaty. Um, and it like directly ties into Hermione. Totally. And, you know, the, the downside about the whole spew thing was, like, that I, like, everyone took it as a joke, and no one took, like, so house elves, uh, like, creating them was a terrible thing to do. I'm assuming that they were, like, created by wizards, because they've got this, mm. this built-in need to serve, mm. and that's clearly, like, a disgusting thing to build into a sentient creature. Like, to build a Roomba that wants to clean your house um, is one thing... To make it really want to clean your house and to make it crazy depressed to the point of self-mutilation if it doesn't do it right <laughs> is a whole other monstery thing altogether. And so she should have been focusing on that problem and not like trying to make them not do their jobs. Like they, they've been yeah. designed to enjoy that. And it, yeah, the whole, that whole thing was, was whatever. But yeah. Um, yeah, so we get our, the HPMOR version of Spew. So. Spew. Spew. It's, hard, it's harder to pronounce. Spew. You. All right, so now we've got a dilemma. We are, the next two chapters puts us at like, I think, 10,000 words. And the next three puts us at 18. And I didn't read all ahead, so I don't know how much there is to cover. So what do you want to do? Do you want to roll the dice on having too much to cover or too little? Let's do too little, because I think I sort of like not, like, 
then we don't have to worry about. So, you know, if it's too little and we only have a two hour podcast, then that would be okay. That's good then we're also like, then we're also a lot like trying to like sprint to like make sure we're covering it. Yeah, we've had a handful of those where like the last chapter is awesome and then we're trying to sprint to cover the yeah. whole thing. So I'm really glad you said that because I was going to do all three. So instead, we're just doing the next two, which is going to be chapters 70 and 71. Cool. Cool. Well, that's, that's all I got for you this episode. What about you, Brian? That is all. I already I gave my speech. Yes, me too. Well, <laughs> I hope everyone had fun and everyone's staying safe and, and comfortable and healthy and best of their ability and all that stuff. Um, I say it lightly, not because I don't care, but because not saying it lightly means, you know, is, is emotionally is draining. Yeah, exactly. Not just for the listener, but for me too. This is, like I mentioned at the top, this has been a somewhat of an emotionally trying day for me. And I like, man, I don't know. I, I don't listen to, you know, escapism material like this to also be, you know, brought down. So having, <laughs> having already successfully brought everyone down, I'm going to move past all that. And just say thanks for listening. We'll see you back next week for chapters 71, or excuse me, chapters 70 and 71. Bye, everybody.